Angeles, California. La La Land. The entertainment capital of the world. Where aspiration and inspiration go hand in hand with desperation. And where glitz and glam is only a heartbeat away from has been. Home to the biggest event of the summer. Home to the stars. The superstardom. The superstars. Here, in a town that eats the weak for breakfast. Two men on two different journeys. One driven by desire. I have waited my entire career for this opportunity. Another fueled by retribution. Damn it, Paul, I trusted you. You failed us. Standing in their path lie the greatest obstacles they'll ever face. A champion who never backs down. You are the best competition right now. And I will prove even the best isn't good enough. An egomaniac blinded by delusion. We were the best in the world. And a monster. Look at this beast. Look at this straight Lesnar. With an appetite for destruction. game could change. There will be a special guest referee, Triple H. On this crash course with destiny, prepare yourself as passion. This is the biggest match battles of my life for respect and fury. Ladies and gentlemen, the beast collides. I am not afraid of Paul Heyman's monster. With vengeance, this is one epic night. This is SummerSlam. And now, WWE presents WWE SummerSlam. From the cast of Total Divas, JoJo sings the national anthem. I've uh, I've subtitled this the the Walt Disney version. What the backing track? Sounds like a Casio keyboard that's got the sound effects. I thought, <laughs> and the, the minute I she started singing, then about thirty seconds in, I was like, oh, so because it's it's quite a uh, decent enough version. Uh, Jojo, wife of Bray Wyatt, of course. Jojo Wyatt is her name is now. You know what? Mm. This is no, no disrespect to Jojo, right? It fucking sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, it does. Fuck it. Here we go. Here we go. He's gonna fucking lay it in thick right now. I'm not gonna be that bad, right? But she's not the best singer. They had Lillian Garcia fucking announce her to say, "Here's this person to sing that." Why didn't they just fucking have Lillian Garcia do it? We because all know Lillian Garcia's yeah. not in the cast of Total Divas. And oh, do you know what? She, you barely, I, I mean, I've, I've only seen the odd clip of Total Divas, but from what I know anyway, you barely fucking see Jojo. Let's face it, she's not the biggest star in the world today, so it really didn't work. So why did you just go with Lillian? I, 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 I've barely seen any clips, but Jojo's barely in it. You watched the first three seasons in one weekend, <laughs> I reckon. I'll admit to watching Ms and Mrs. I oh, will admit to that. The fuck goes on at Wells? <laughs> what goes on in your mind that you think, oh, it's really embarrassing to say I watch Total Divas, but Miz and Mrs. is fine. <laughs> Miz and Mrs. is great. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, yeah, although I did watch a couple of episodes of Foley is Good when that was first put on the network. Right. And I, 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 I had to shower with a loafer. I felt so disgusting afterwards. Well, Jojo was the only one of the cast of the first season of Total Divas that didn't make it to the second season. So maybe that does say oh. something for her uh, ability. She then did return from the third to the ninth season as a guest. Lovely. <laughs> When do, you, when do you say guest? Was she like doing run-ins every now and then? <laughs> Possibly. I, I guess that she's a recurring character rather than yeah. a... Oh my God, it's Jojo from nowhere with a <laughs> plate of uh, uh, little food things. What are they called? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, you know, like... Party Appetizers? Food. No. The a a moose-bouche. Uh, it's not quite that posh. <laughs> Finger food. Yeah, uh, it's, it's more posh than that. Just... Can't think. Fuck Can't it, think. Right. Forget it. Yeah. Um, do you know? Do you? Can you tell me? This is a bit of a quiz question for you. Ooh. Can you tell me the only person to have been a main star in all nine seasons of Total Divas? You only Natalia. get one answer. You only get one answer. Natalia. What do you think, Matt? You think the same? Yeah, it's Natalia. It is Natalia. Yes, she is the only one to make it all through. Even Brie Bella and uh, Nikki Bella managed only up to season eight and then guested during season nine. Buggered off for their own show, didn't they? You know what I'm really impressed with? This is what I love about Wikipedia, right? I, I will maintain, I think I said this in the first ever episode of this podcast, I said Wikipedia is a phenomenal resource for wrestling. It's unbelievable. There's nothing on Wikipedia that's covered in as much depth as pro wrestling. And just to illustrate that, Total Divas has got a page and there's a fucking graph of all the main stars in Total Divas and when they were the main main cast and when they were a guest. It is beautifully put together. I mean, this is a proper good infographic where I can just go, oh, Brie Bella was in one to eight, Cameron one to three, Eva Marie one to six. Someone's taken the time to put that together. Absolutely phenomenal. On another note, canapes. Canapes. <laughs> yeah. We danced around it. Hello and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review and we are recording this on the hottest day in the history of the universe, officially hotter than the sun. So I guess it's only right that we embark on a three-part orgy of the hottest event of the summer, SummerSlam. Joining me today is old man Sam Carey. Hello chat. And we also have Matt Roberts with us today. How are you doing Matt? You gentlemen, salutes to you both. Lovely. Notice how I never ask old man how he's doing because I just don't care. <laughs> I, I just enjoyed the fact that you brought the fact that it's hot into the hottest party in the summer. Speaking of hot nights, Matt, how was your night of passion with Mike tonight? <laughs> I was so wondering where you were going with that then. <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike today is doing great. He says hi to everybody. He's a lovely man, isn't he? Was he tender? He's a, he's a very sweet old man. i, I got to give him that. That's lovely. That's lovely. <laughs> now, as I said, we are embarking on a three-part SummerSlam fest, but not three consecutive episodes, because this year WWE have done something really strange and scheduled the event the last day in July. I don't know what that's mm. about. As opposed to its traditional late August spot. So if you're worried about keeping up with what our latest episode will be, give us a follow at RWRPodUK on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And therein lies our topic of the week. What do we make of this whole SummerSlam pavlova happening in July? It's not right, is it? Well, you know what? I don't really care. <laughs> but 
I do like how many things I've seen of people saying, and uh, yeah, and obviously in August you've got SummerSlam, and every time I've heard or read someone say it, I've gone, not this year, you haven't. <laughs> and I and I just feel a little bit of smoke. So from my point of view, I'm winning. I do like the fact that it's on a Saturday again. I know it's definitely on a Saturday because it clashes with the UFC, and it's one that I really want to watch as well. So that's a busy night. Just just skip bit. SummerSlam, I would, mate. <laughs> well, to be honest, there was a, there was a UFC, and um, in fact, I think it was Money in the Bank actually, and there was a clash recently. So I just watched uh, the WWE pay per view first, and then just watched UFC afterwards. So, but the only problem so, is I'm in Dublin when this comes on, so I don't know where the hell I'm going to watch them if I'm going to watch them. Uh, Money in the Bank was the night when was it Vince, Stephanie, Triple H, and Pat McAfee went to. The UFC straight after, didn't they? Yes, where Israel Adesanya came out to the Undertaker's theme. Yeah. What did Israel have? He came out. (laughs) (laughs) Smooth. (laughs) Legitimately, when you first said Israel, I thought, I didn't know that was a name. I thought, what's what's he going to say about Israel? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's uh, that's, that's the uh, UFC middleweight champion is Israel Adesanya. And uh, he came out to the Undertaker's theme and carried like fake ashes of his opponent. It was kind of cool, actually. Well, obviously, we've got Clash in the Castle in early September, so maybe that's part of why they made SummerSlam yeah. so early. And Crown Jewel as well in November. Well, that's not going to affect it at all, so I don't know why I said no. that. Mm. But um, big, big, big events anyway, big events. Now, I'm not particularly happy about it just because I'm a purist. I'm a traditionalist. I like to see these things stay where they are in the, in, in the calendar traditionally. But I don't really care. And as I said, if, I was, if there was something else that was going to be happening on the day of SummerSlam, I choose to watch that other thing, whatever it was. So, uh, you know, personally, that would be my choice. Not to not to do WWE or wrestling down in in too much too big of a way, right? To kick off this show about wrestling, but you know, shit in it. So, what do you expect? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, let, let's make something of this. Come on, let's not be party poopers. All right, so, so yeah. So I actually don't mind a little mix around. I think it keeps things fresh. I'm not entirely sure whether it has kept anything fresh. But you know what? It's exciting, isn't it? And it's also um, it's a massive outdoor stadium, isn't it? So I wonder if that was in their thinking as well. They were like, well, in Tennessee, in mid to late August, they do get the hurricane season, apparently, oh, right. and the snow season as well. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's been known acid rain as well. Ten years' time, that's probably going to be true. Yeah, well, to be honest, I think if it rained now, I, well, I, I run outside. I just cut this now. I just go, sorry, lads, I'm running outside. And then I'd come back with little burn marks because I think it would be acid rain. I've got to be honest, today was the closest I've ever come so far since doing this podcast to actually just being here of no shirt. It's definitely the closest I've come. I've just looked through the SummerSlam card, such as it is at this point, and we are 12 days out at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's jam-packed, isn't it? When we're recording it. Yeah, we've got Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar's last man standing match, which we've kind of hit on before, but fucking hell, last man standing as well. Bloody yeah. hell. So don't forget, it's their last one ever as well. Uh, well, well, we'll believe that when we see it. And, <laughs> well, they, well, and they don't headline WrestleMania next year. <laughs> also, they've been, I haven't really paid much attention, but they've been very clever with their wording of this. So it's the last time Brock Lesnar can challenge Roman Reigns for the title before he loses it. Unless he loses it on a Wednesday, in which case he can. Yeah, there's all sorts of all sorts of caveats to it. Cheeky little fuckers. There some stars. So in addition to that main event, we got Pat McAfee versus Happy Corbin. Fucking hell. Did this star for you, Pat 
back at yeah. me. Hey. Yeah. And then we've got Bobby Lashley versus um, Matt's favorite wrestler and favorite wrestling name, Theory. We've got Old Man's favorite ever uh, feud, the Usos versus the Street Profits. But yeah. it's got Jeff Jarrett as the special guest referee. <laughs> Which confused me no end when yeah. I heard about it. And then I realized that it's in Tennessee. No, it's in Nashville. That's it. That's the reason. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. And Jeff Jarrett, Matt Roberts' favorite as well. Another one. Yeah, another one. Uh, yeah. Do, you, do you think he's going to perform with my baby tonight again? Oh, <gasps> oh you know what? He probably will. That's probably the reason they're doing it. Yeah. He'll come out singing it. Or he'll come out and he'll do it and then he'll go heel. Love that. Don't tick me off. Slap nuts. Um, and then finally, <laughs> it's Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship in a rematch from Liv Morgan's cashing in of the Money in the Bank, which Matt Roberts doesn't like because he doesn't like women. So No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, um, just wait till you hear the review of this show. <laughs> uh, also, I do not believe that match will happen. I believe that they will uh, shoehorn someone else in there to take the pin. For the submission, okay. because I can't see Liv Morgan, despite the fact that everyone loves her, Matt loves her, everyone loves her. I can't see her beating Rousey clean again. Well, she didn't really beat her clean for the thing. Can't see it. Don't see it. If I see it, I'll be happy. More importantly, and we it, shouldn't see it. No. And you know what, Matt? You speak a lot of bollocks, but you're bloody right there. I actually agree, because that's something that I feel should be... It should be built to. It should be one of those things. Like we mentioned this the other week, Bianca Bella and I was said Bailey then, uh, Becky Lynch. They kept them apart. And then when Bella actually beat her clean in the middle, three, four, five, it was lovely. What is she? What is she? King Kong Bundy? What's going on she here? She is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you not heard that? That's her new gimmick. She's <laughs> she, shaved her head completely. She's just wearing a onesie, just stuffing it full of newspapers. To make herself look larger. It's not very flattering. King, King Kong Bianca. Is that, is that <laughs> what it is? That's it. So today we are covering not the 2022 version of the SummerSlam. Because that hasn't happened yet as we're recording this. We are covering the 2013 version of SummerSlam. Oh, yes. Um, so expectations. What were our expectations going into this show? Why don't we start with you, old man? So my expectations were... Oh, Oh, no idea what's going to be on that. And then I did some thinking and I was like, oh, Daniel Bryan, John Cena in the main event. And I was like, oh, you know what? I remember that being corking. So I was like, you know what? There'll be some stuff before it. None of which I can remember. When I got into it, there's something I'm very, very excited about. But we'll get to that. But I was like, you know what? I remember. So this and then when I was thinking about it, it got be timeline right. So post WrestleMania 29, going to be built into... WrestleMania 30, I remembered the very, very end of the main event. Wasn't really worried about that because I can remember their stuff before being tremendous stuff. I was pretty bang up for this. i got to be honest. I was as hard as I'd been for a show in a while. <laughs> you said this is going to be corking. Was that happy corking? <laughs> <That's> the... <laughs> that oh, is no. <laughs> fan-fucking-tastic. In this, in this no. heat... <laughs> Matt, uh, what were your oh, expectations? Mate. Good lord! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, let me let me just recover from that. Um, when I was trying to remember this show, I there was only one match that I could remember, which was the the Brock Lesnar CM Punk match, which I didn't remember as well as I thought, but I did remember it taking place on this show. 
and do remember enjoying it quite a bit. So as soon as I knew that was on there, I was thinking, okay, I'm definitely going to come away with enjoying at least one match on the card. And the rest I couldn't really remember. And and when you mentioned there, old man, about the uh, the John Cena-Daniel Bryan match, totally forgot that was on the same show. And when I found out that was on there, I was like, oh, even better. So my expectations were quite high for this uh, this card. My expectations were sky high for the show. So I remembered Ooh. that both those matches were on it. And I remember having multiple conversations at the time and after it about what was the best match. Was it John Cena versus Daniel Ryan? Was it Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk? I remember believing at the time. I'm not going to say if this is true or not after having watched it again. But I remember believing at the time that John Cena, Daniel Bryan was the better match. I couldn't remember anything else, though couldn't remember a single thing other than those two on the card but then given that those two are the two i remember i think it doesn't matter that i don't remember anything else that's exactly what i was supposed to remember from this show and i did i still remembered it so this is also a very interesting time for me because it's just before i started working with wrestle talk just before literally maybe even a couple of weeks before it's gonna be interesting i'm gonna have i've got lots of feelings and thoughts on this show but it but it's the kind of the start of something for me but also maybe the end of something i'll leave it at that very poetic I'm going to be honest, right? I don't want to get the listeners' expectations too high, but I think this is going to be a fucking ripper, this podcast. Could be. Yeah, well, I it think... always is. What are you talking about? Always is. Well, yeah, yeah. I know. Normally, well, normally, there's a tear guaranteed. We're going to be ripping the whole thing down, I think. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it's too hot. We're going to tear this shit down. If, yes. we can, if we can be bothered in this fucking yeah. horrendous heat. Right. <laughs> Talking points, then. Uh, let's start with you, Matt. What were your? What do you want to pull out of this show? Right. Okay. Mike Tenay's dick. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I wanted to come to you first, Matt, because I was still feeling bad from the other week where, yeah. where both me and Tom, I think it was, stole all of this. Yeah, me. <laughs> oh, you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you did. Yes, you, you did steal all my talking points. So do you know what? I'm not going to feel bad about potentially stealing a fairly obvious one. Now. Just go in. Just do it. So, do you know what? My talking point is going to be the main event is John Cena, Daniel Bryan. Now, it's not going to be the specific uh, point that you were thinking, but I digress. So this match was absolutely fantastic. Let's just get that part out of the way. Loved it. Thought it was brilliant. It was the match that the fans were dying to see Daniel Bryan have from the day he was hired. And I think this was finally what the fans got. It was for the WWE Championship. So it was a big deal. It was John Cena, the biggest star in the company. So it was an even bigger deal. Triple H is a referee, one of the big four, one of the biggest fucking deals you could possibly have in the year. The only minor complaint I have, and it is a minor complaint, just to tell everybody what the finish is right from the start. Daniel Bryan won the WWE Championship via the, can I either call it, the? I, some people call it the Busaki knee, some people just call it the high knee, the knee to the face, whatever the some, hell you want to call it. Hang on, some people call it the Bukaki knee. What? I did, I pronounced that right this time, let's not go there. I said Busaki. <laughs> it, it's basically, he won via the knee, okay, whatever you want to call it. Everybody knows that Daniel Bryan was mostly known for being the submission specialist is special has been the the bell lock, yes lock again, whatever variation name you want to call it for years. And John Cena, to the best of my knowledge, as a babyface, has never tapped out. This was the night where he should have, in my opinion. I like, like I said, I love this match. I thought it was fantastic. Post match angle, we'll go into it a bit. Also fantastic. It felt the tiniest bit flat for me 
because of that finish. The label again, the yes lock, we'll go just go with the yes lock for now, was so over as his finishing move, that's what the crowd wanted to see him win with. And that's what he should have won with. Again, it, it doesn't take away too much, because again, the crowd just loved the fact that Daniel Bryan won anyway. But I just I think particularly looking back on this now, I think people would have even fonder memories of this if they remember this as the night that John Cena tapped out. It should have happened here. That's a very interesting thing because my main comment was I was shocked by the finish because I was like you. I was expecting tappity tap, tap, tap. That's what I was expecting to happen. Now, Daniel Bryan is fucking magnificent. We all know this. He hits that knee, right? And I, now, if they'd have had the knee and then he kicks out, it would have blown everything because that knee is incredible. It looks fan-fucking-tastic. It looks like he stoves his face in with his knee, basically, and could almost kill him. And there's a little bit, and I've really picked up on it, was when Triple H counts the three, Daniel Bryan looks legitimately surprised. Not acting surprised. And then he's just celebrating. So I wonder if they had a little change on the fly. I don't think so. But I loved it because I know what comes at WrestleMania 30. Now, we all know they fucking walked into that. They didn't plan any of that shit out. But because there's the tap at the end of that, I think that is the memory that I hold. But also maybe that's why I don't necessarily remember this match, which is astonishing because it's fucking amazing. And I think like the last seven, eight minutes are perfect. Absolutely perfect, including the aftermatch stuff. So we won't, I won't touch on the aftermatch stuff. Well, I may mm. have to actually, just to address your point. So I think I disagree with you about the submission thing, except I wouldn't do if they didn't do what comes after the match. Okay. So I think had this match ended the show and nothing had come after it, Daniel Bryan had just celebrated, 100% I would agree with you, Matt. I would 100% agree with you. But because they have the aftermatch, I think it would have been a waste. Because what's the point? What's the point in having John Cena's one submission ever be completely overshadowed by something completely different? To me, that makes no sense. I would agree with you 100%. If you're just looking at the match and you're not having that thing afterwards, yes, do what you said. You're absolutely right. That would be bang on. But because they do the thing afterwards, I don't think that would have made any sense to me. The match itself is great. I loved it when I watched it the first time, but I also was so caught up in the Daniel Bryan thing. Like it was the last time I legitimately invested in a character's story and their journey to this moment. I I wrote a a long piece for another for a website I can't remember the name of anymore about Daniel Bryan about two months before this pay-per-view talking about how he basically got himself over again and again and again without WWE really doing anything to help him in fact seemingly doing everything to hinder him all the way through like they saddled him with comedy gimmicks and silly stuff and stuff that in the hands of other less able people, less enthusiastic people would have fallen flat on its face. He had the whole AJ Lee thing in 2012. He had the whole like Bella thing as well, where they were kind of like, it was all, and it was all kind of digging at Daniel Bryan. It was all taking. Was the nerd, the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The stuff with the Miz when he first showed up in the company, like literally everything they did was to do him down, was to belittle him. And he just took it and turned it into gold every single time. And they couldn't ignore it anymore. Then they had this summer 
of Raw shows where Daniel Bryan just fucking carried the whole show for every single week. There one match in particular really sticks out to me. It's a it's a gauntlet match. I think it's against two members of the Shield and and Cesaro or something like that. I can't remember who it is, but Cesaro is the one that sticks out because they go for about 26, 27 minutes in the midst of a gauntlet match. So basically, he has about 35, 40 minute match on Raw through these three opponents. Other than that, he was on every single week in the main event in tags, six-man tags, alongside Randy Orton and uh, and Kane against The Shield or against whoever else. He was just so phenomenal, and I was so caught up in it. Watching it this time, I didn't like it as much as I did the first time. I think because I wasn't, as uh, this time I wasn't emotionally invested because I knew what happened and I knew how it went. And that really carried me through it. It was an interesting case study because for me, actually, I think, my first viewing of the of the match should be the the, the the viewing I trust because that's the one that matters. That's the one that I invested in. That's the one I bought the pay-per-view for was to see Daniel Bryan beat John Cena in the main event. And I think that's the other thing. I think these crowd are there not just to see John Cena versus Daniel Bryan, but to see Daniel Bryan win. They're there to see him win. They want to be there. They want to be able to say they were there when Daniel Bryan won. It's a great match. It's not a beyond amazing match. It's a very, very, very good match, though. And uh, it was great. Only one bum note is when they try, when Daniel Bryan tries to do his little flip up over the top of John Cena coming off the, the turnbuckle. Cena's supposed to catch him and do the AA or at mm. least get him in the position for the AA. And they didn't quite do it. But they still made up. They still managed to get through it. And it didn't look too sloppy, but it just it was just a little bit of a misstep. But other than that, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant match. So we've covered the, the main event. It's a just just for context. It's a 27 minute match, mm. <laughs> and uh, Daniel Bryan beats John Cena, as you said, with the running knee or the Bukaki knee. So now we're going to call it forever. Uh, Triple H is a special guest referee. So, old man, what was your talking point? Well, I feel like we need to come back to the main event. I was going to let you do it if you wanted, but but you absolutely not. Give right. over. So, what are we going to go for? Let's do it. <laughs> so I was I was mulling over the main event and I was like, oh, what else? You know what? I'm gonna go with Fandango. <laughs> now we talked he loves to about, be subversive, doesn't he? Yeah, we we talked about him the other week. You talked about him, Tinky, and you said how they they had something quite natural and then they rammed it down our throats until we were sick a little bit. I was sick quite a lot in this show because. For those who don't know, Miz is the host. So he comes out at the start and he says, welcome to SummerSlam, the biggest party of the summer. I'm the Miz. So Fandango and Summer Ray come out and have a little dance around. And then Miz does his really thing, which goes on for too, too many reallys, I think. <laughs> really? I think it's, yeah. <laughs> Lovely old job. And then, uh, what? And then later... <laughs> <laughs> let's just heckle him let's just heckle him so he can never speak again and then later on in the show the Miz is backstage and he's doing something but I don't seem to have it written down I think it's after they talk about Maria Menounes who he's looks like yeah he looks like she was in a cracking match at SummerSlam Access <laughs> looks like an absolute cracker apparently according to Michael Cole she looked like a wrestler out there and I'm like it's not the right thing to say it's not the right thing to say like, she is obviously a super fan. We all know this. Well, I'd imagine most of us will know that, that she's an absolutely enormous rest of her. A big Backland girl, isn't she? A big, big, big Bob Backland. Fucking hell. 
That's hard to say. Our big Bob Backlund girl. Oh, that's that, that, That's El, El Gigante again. No. <laughs> But yeah, and then uh, they come out and have a little dance. Uh, sorry, they. Uh, Fandango and Summer Rae come out and have a little dance again backstage. And then Miz and Maria do what is, I must say, significantly better dancing. Like, it's significantly better dancing. And then later on in the show, so this is pre-main event, you get uh, the Miz chatting backstage and fucking Fandango turns up again. But this time, the Miz wallops in. And I was like... Could have done that at the start of the show, mate. Because when they're doing the backstage bit with him and Maria Menounos and Fandango and Summer Rae, they cut to the crowd and there's like that view that they do. As you're looking at the rain, they're behind these people. And there's just these two guys who have got their arms up in the air, one after the other, doing their little Fandango dance. And I was just like, you fucking make me sick. <laughs> you make me sick. How dare you enjoy yourself at the biggest party of the summer? Oh, it, no, it, what it reminded me of is what they had. And it reminded me of the of the little speech, I'll call it a speech, that you gave the other week, Tinky. And I was like, God damn, that motherfucker was right. They really fucked this, didn't they? And also, I was a bit disappointed not to see The Miz on the card, to be honest. I was. I didn't need a generic WWE mid-card title match, quite frankly, so I was quite happy The Miz wasn't on it. <laughs> I'm just going to say that hey, everyone loved that song. It went to the top of the you know the UK iTunes chart or whatever, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> it, it did in May. <laughs> I went to a house show a couple of weeks before Survivor Series of this year in mm. Birmingham, I think it was. It was actually a, a birthday present from my wife. Now, now wife, she wasn't my wife then. And she, we went to a Marco Pierre White restaurant beforehand. Oh, lovely. It was fucking that's shit. It's absolutely oh, well, worst genuinely and that this is what happens marco you come you give me a shitty service nine years ago i'm going to start fucking reviewing it on my podcast in front of the millions and millions of people who listen to this podcast yeah. it was yeah it's a steak restaurant in birmingham and it was fucking shit they first of all i asked for medium rare they brought out well done hang on you asked for medium rare they brought out timothy well and Stephen dunn <laughs> yes that's right yeah i said like, i don't want these wrestlers i want my fucking steak <laughs> and then right they brought it out basically blue and i was like you're just taking the piss now like this is ridiculous like you are a steak restaurant you don't do anything else how can you get this wrong it's fucking atrocious anyway Sons sorry get off my soapbox now what i was gonna say is that i gotta be honest fandango was on that show i was one of those two guys doing the old, da, 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 because it was one of my favorite things all year mm. but literally for about two weeks and I was determined that when I got in the crowd, I was going to relive that two weeks from April earlier in the year and enjoy it. But yeah, as you say, they, they absolutely killed it. So I'm going to have to check something because uh, oh, I know it was uh, on April 27th. I went to London to meet a friend of the show, 40, because he had some tickets some complimentary tickets for Smackdown live taping that they did at the O2 and we went and it was at the end of the show the shield powerbomb the undertaker through an announce table excellent stuff enjoyable and then they had a william regal match so he got an enormous pop he was beaten about 10 seconds and it was like fucking hell what are you doing but at the end fandango came out and me and 40 were right pissed up so we had a lovely old time but this was april 27th not august the 18th and it certainly wasn't november tinky no, I mean, no, I was desperate to cling on to it and uh, get what I came for, basically. And because also old Daniel Bryan, who was or was advertised for the event, ended up being on the other fucking show in Newcastle or wherever it was. And we got... Why, I pet? 
we didn't get John Cena, we didn't get CM Punk, we didn't get Daniel Bryan. We got fucking Big Show and Randy Orton in the main event. Like fuck right off. One one thing I very quickly got to say about the uh, the Miz and Fandango here, right, is that I I quite like the Miz. Now the the, the Miz is at a certain level. He pretty much always will be. We all know it. You can kind of take him as a bit of a joke. But to be the butt of the joke from the Miz, mm. Fandango must be thinking, oh, shit, I'm done. <laughs> if you're literally being punched out by the Miz on pay-per-view, you're probably thinking, ah, fuck, that's it. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, it was just it was just crap. I was just really, like, frustrated by it because I was like, hey, Miz is good at, what's Miz good at? Tell what he's good at. He's good at talking. Let's let him talk for a bit. He's, he's also good at having very, very generic WWE mid-card title matches on pay-per-views. He is, and he's made a lovely living out of it. I quite liked the Miz and Fandango stuff, I've got to be honest. Of course you did. It was just a light bit of fluff. I mean, probably at the time, I was like, what's the fucking point of the Miz being the host of SummerSlam? I mean, what, do, what does this add at all? Nothing. But in terms of just some little kind of skits, I, I quite liked it. I quite liked every time him getting interrupted by Fandango. I, I especially appreciate it when he was interviewing Maria Menounos because that interview was going nowhere. So I thought, it was, it was quite painful. Yeah. Thank goodness that Fandango showed up, quite frankly. Um, but I, I didn't hate it, but it did feel a bit pointless. So my talking point, what to go with, is a tricky one. Tempted to do it for a curveball. I'm going for the uh, post-match of the main event. That's what I'm going to go for. Nice. Because as we said, we haven't discussed it. So what happens after Daniel Bryan wins the WWE title, John Cena shakes hands with both Daniel Bryan and Triple H and walks out. Triple, uh, Daniel Bryan then celebrates for some time uh we get mm-hmm. all the confetti we get all kinds of stuff then after about must be three four minutes of celebration randy orton's music hits now randy orton is one of the two men at the time that held money in the bank briefcases randy orton walks out then daniel bryan faces him down randy orton starts to walk away then he turns around randy orton turns around and starts to look at daniel bryan again and then triple h spins daniel bryan around Triple H, who had been the special guest referee and had still was still in the ring at this point, spins Daniel Bryan around, pedigrees him. Randy Orton gets in the ring, cashes in his money in the bank, pins Daniel Bryan. We have a new WWE champion. It is Randy Orton, and Triple H has endorsed him by holding his hand up as well. Of course, turning on Daniel Bryan. Old man, what did you think? I thought this was fan-fucking-tastic. I think this is as perfect as these things can ever be done. Because you've got the end that we talked about. So the uh, Daniel Bryan gets a load of mates around and they all bukkake John Cena. And then he <laughs> pins him for the three. Triple H then gives Daniel Bryan a second, raises his arm and he's smiling. The whole thing going in is that Vince McMahon believes that Daniel Bryan is no good. He's not going to be the top guy. Brad Maddox is slagging him off. The only thing he's good at is being in a sex team. <laughs> he's not even good but, at that. and and triple h is kind of the guy who's like no no right this is wwe this is where the best fight the best john cena's handpicked daniel bryan as an opponent by the way which i thought was absolutely pathetic Uh, that's the one real bum note of this whole thing is that he doesn't earn it but then it feeds into obviously what comes afterwards why vince mcmahon feels the way he does why brad maddox wanted to film himself having sex it all leads into <laughs> one thing after another isn't it but yeah so triple h raises his arm and he smiles at him and he looks genuinely pleased and it's the kind of thing where 
Triple H is there and he's there for the whole time. And if it was any other referee, any other special guest referee, I think as well, I'd have been like, what the fuck's that cunt doing there? Why is he hanging around? Was he trying to do But he keeps going over and then raises his arm. And I think, oh, cool. He's endorsing him. That's what he does. And then, like you said, Tinky, the celebration goes on. It feels like the end of WrestleMania 30, where people are just joyous, having sex, <laughs> blowing goats, doing all of it in the crowd. Absolutely loving it. Bukaki and, and Brad Maddox a lot. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. And then Orton's music hits and the crowd pop. And then they realize what's going to happen. And they're like, ah. Oh. And in that way that Orton does, he just drags this thing out. Just drags it out for about, must be a minute. He's just looking at him. And then Daniel Bryan's like, come on then, you prick. You fucking wanker. Come on. Puts his title belt down. And I'm just watching because it's all from behind. And you're watching Triple H to see what he's up to. So I'm like, how's he going to do this? Because I knew it was coming. I just think they just got it absolutely perfectly. With Orton walking away. And then turn about round and going towards him. Just a little extra distraction. I thought it was fan-fucking-tastic, this. I wish they did anything like this half as good as this. And I'd probably still be watching. But it is fucking brilliant. Go on, WWE. <laughs> Matt? It's funny, right? Because I don't, I don't remember watching this in real time the first time. I might have had the show spoiled for me and then ended up just watching it anyway. So I, I knew what was happening. Knowing what I'm like now... If I were to watch this for the first time, I probably would have missed the entire cash in. <laughs> as soon as the confetti started falling down, I'd be like, cool, that's it, job done. And the right, that's it, finished. upstairs, upstairs, because Mike Tanay's out there waiting. <laughs> this is why WWE don't do this anymore, is because Matt won't be there. No one will be able to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> like, as soon as, yeah, like you both said, it went on forever. And I was like, oh, okay, he's won, it's great, happy days, I would have turned it off. But that being said, I, I have watched it. At the time, this was the best cash-in since Edge's original cash-in, I thought. It was very well done. It was the perfect opponent. It was the perfect foil for him in Randy Orton. Triple H turning was great as well. I mean, you know, I, I can't remember how long he'd been babyface for at the time, but I think the majority of people would possibly agree that Triple H is pretty much better as a heel so that worked out in, in everybody's favor as well. Like I said, everybody was massively behind Brian. So the, the turn just made Orton and Triple H that more hateable. Um, yeah, th- th- this was, as far as cashing goes, it's, it still stands up as one of the best. And what you should do, particularly in regards to a heel cashing in. So it, incredibly well done, you know, well done to all of the guys involved. Okay, so. The execution is absolutely phenomenal. As old man went through the delay, the tease, Triple H's positioning. So I was watching Triple H a lot during this bit. And his positioning is great because he stood in the corner very, very still for a mm. long time. And it's only when Randy Orton starts to walk away that Triple H even gets closer to Daniel Bryan. But he's still looking out at Randy Orton and almost almost holding his arm out as if to say, oh, you know, don't worry, he's going to be gone or whatever. So he does it so well and so subtly. It is executed to perfection. And I hate it. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. So at the time, I think I did hate it. I'm pretty certain I hated it at the time. And that, again, I go back to the investment I had in Daniel Bryan over that summer. And then feeling like he's done it. He's conquered John Cena. He's beaten the biggest star in the business of the last 10 years. He is now the biggest star in the business. Daniel Bryan was, at the, in that summer, easily the most popular wrestler in the world. Easily the biggest star. Look at the crowd. It's not just... The people that 
Matt, you were referring to when you said people have been waiting for Daniel Bryan to face John Cena from when he started, i.e. the smart fans. It's the kids. It's the families. Everybody absolutely loves Daniel Bryan. And it's such an affirmative thing being able to just shout into the air. Yes. Again and again and again. It's, it's so simple. But in a world where things are so cynical, that is quite infectious to the point where I remember uh, when we were in Amsterdam, we were in a bar. I'm pretty certain it was in Amsterdam or somewhere. I can't remember now. It's going to do my head in. But basically, I was chatting with Tom and Tom's now wife in, in this bar. And I think it was Tom started doing it, just going, yes. Yes. And then then Tom's wife did as well. And I did it. And then literally the entire bar joined in. We're not in a wrestling crowd at all. Most of our mates are not wrestling fans. Most, you know, most of the people in the bar almost certainly weren't wrestling fans. The whole bar was doing it. They were just absolutely loving it. It was brilliant. It was honestly phenomenal. All of that stuff. And then they do this and they do it. I re- I've been listening to some of our recordings from last year because I'm putting together the Hall of Fame episode that we're gonna I'm doing as a bonus. And we talked about Sasha Banks and Bailey in a similar vein. It's a similar thing. Bailey, everyone's really invested in Bailey's journey. She becomes champion. And what we all said is it's so right that there's no twist. There's no swerve. There's nothing like there's no heel turn or anything. It just delivers the result it's supposed to deliver. For me, this undercut all of the good work they've done up to this point. And I think it's a humongous mistake that they did it. I think it's absolutely a massive mistake. It's why I said they shouldn't have had John Cena submit. Now, again, if Daniel Bryan had beaten John Cena and that had been the end of the show, what a way to put Daniel Bryan over. The first person to ever make John Cena submit. Magnificent. But if you're going to do this, there's absolutely no point. Because at the end of this show, Daniel Bryan looks like a loser again. Imagine WWE doing this to Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14. Steve Austin wins the match against Shawn Michaels, becomes world champion for the first time. Vince McMahon brings out Kane and says, you didn't win that match fairly. Mike Tyson helped you. You're now going to face Kane. I'm going to be the referee. Kane choke slams him, pins him. One, two, three. That's the end. There's no there's no major boom period for WWE at that point. It just isn't. Imagine if they do it to John Cena when he beat JBL at WrestleMania 21. Same thing. You don't get the big star boost. And that's exactly what happened here. Daniel Bryan's the biggest star in the company at the conclusion of that match. And then within five, ten minutes after it, he no longer is. I know what ended up happening at WrestleMania 30. And I get that. But Daniel Bryan was hotter as a star leading into SummerSlam than he was leading into WrestleMania 30. He was a bigger star. The rations he were getting was more organic. It was almost a little forced by the time they got to WrestleMania 30. On that, I remember that rule when they had the fans, quote unquote, they weren't fans, they were plants, invade the ring. They were the only people in the stadium doing the yes chance because people had gotten a little bit fed up of it by then. And, and also the sting had been taken out of it because of all the the next three, six months where he was against Randy Orton, constantly losing to Randy Orton, then put in a feud with the Wyatt family, then turned uh, turned heel, which was not going to be a temporary thing originally, but only when they realised what they'd done did they turn it back. Then they were going to put, put him in a match with Sheamus at WrestleMania 30 originally. They never planned to do any of this. This was literally them going, well, we've given you Daniel Bryan's win, now shut up, we're going to move on. And I just think it was the biggest mistake ever. Daniel Bryan should have been the biggest star in the in the in the world. He should have been supernova coming out of the show, and he wasn't because of what they did here. That's why I hate it. Now again, I think he's executed brilliantly. I think it is executed brilliantly. I can't argue with that. But to me, it's just the wrong wrong move. And I think it's symptomatic of what wrestling has become. So all that stuff we've talked about about not being able to build stars and the fact that they consistently replace building stars with a surprise 
this it typifies it this is it was a much more time when they were more sparing with those surprises so it wasn't quite the same but it reeks to me of what we've now got which is their inability to make star coupled with this need or belief that they need to surprise everyone and i always also ask you who would have been complaining at the end of the show had there been no twist this show was already mm. perfect you didn't need the twist at the end now maybe when you've got a bad show and you you want to like you perhaps put out a bad main event and you know you've put out a bad main event and it's been a little bit predictable and then you hit them with the surprise at the end maybe that works really well here you don't need it it's it's it's, it's not only, even if even if you like it for me it's a waste it doesn't need to be there i can't argue with any of that but as a standalone show, I thought it was fantastic. Now, what is odd, and I was reading about this after I finished the show, is that Cedar then goes off for uh, a few months to have surgery. Yeah, yeah. He's got a t- torn tricep, apparently. Yeah, he's just resting with a torn tricep. What had? What an absolute lad. Big shout out to Cena, who was working pretty much as hero as I've ever seen him work in this match. And he's fucking good at it as well. I was just like, oh... Well, they could have done. Well, they could have done with him. Wouldn't have had the Bray Wyatt legacy stuff. You'd have saved that. But I get the feeling that what they thought in their mind was, all right, what we want is we want a face doing the chase, not Bradley Walsh (laughs) for the title. That's the only way that I can explain it, the thinking. But I do remember the atrocious amount of matches that him and Orton had. Mm. And they weren't necessarily bad matches, to be fair. But it did turn me off the product completely. So that's what I was talking about when I say it was both a beginning and an end for me. It was the end mm. of me caring. It was the end mm. of me caring. It was the end of me believing in WWE's ability to take me to a, on a journey and get me to a place I wanted to finish. It was mm. the end of me trusting them to deliver on the promise and the potential of a big baby face chase. Because in order to invest in the chase, you have to believe that the end is going to be worth it. And for mm. me, it wasn't. It was a negative finish for that that chase i'm gonna have to disagree <laughs> the, the the polar bear rears its uh, its ugly head again i i get what you're saying and i do agree partially however that being said i don't agree in that this was the most over he was to be honest i, I think far from it i think the most over he was was on the way to wrestlemania the raw where he was part of the wyatt family Shed the Wyatt skin, as Michael Cole said on commentary. That is the most over, and I will say this for any wrestler I have ever seen. That is the loudest I have ever heard any crowd, and I defy somebody to go back and watch that and not see every single person in that arena doing the yes chant. Whereas I don't think, don't get me wrong, they were massively for Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. There were some people there who were for Cena. On that Raw that night, every single person was a Daniel Bryan fan and were invested in the journey. And I think you had the Rumble, which had all that controversy as well. You know, people going absolutely batshit crazy that he didn't win the thing. I mean, bloody hell, the thing ended up on BBC News for, you know, people complaining that they wanted their money back for paying for a show that he didn't win. And then... You know, they had the show where, I can't remember the show, it might have been on Raw again, where um, they were doing the Undisputed Title presentation or something, and they had all the, the former champions out, and literally Daniel Bryan was there amongst loads of other guys. Only person they were chanting for was him. That was his hometown, so that's a little bit of a cheat, but hey, it doesn't matter. I just felt that, okay, they they lucked into it, you know, they... I don't believe that they planned it start to finish either. They lucked into how it eventually ended up going. 
And I do think that the end, in this case, justifies the means. Because, I don't get me wrong, they fucked up and, and he was injured as well, if I remember rightly, just after Mania. That was the point where he potentially could have become the biggest star. And we'll never know. But I, I do think that it was a WrestleMania, not SummerSlam. I think you're so wrong. I really do. I, I and <laughs> I can only imagine because I watched all those rest, rule rules right through. I mean, I was doing. I remember the Bray White one in particular because by that point we were doing a show for Wrestle Talk, a podcast which was literally reviewing Raw every week. I can remember that absolutely, and it was a standout one. There was big cheers. They were not as intense. They were nowhere near as intense as the crowds had been in the run up to this pay per view. Now at the pay per view, granted. There are fans of Cena and they are, there are some chanting. Put Cena in that situation with the Wyatt family. Brian would have had less than half the crowd. He was nowhere near as hot come that point as he was at SummerSlam. This was the hottest point of his career. And they ruined it. Not only that, they destroyed it. The presentation of Daniel Bryan, not just on this night after Randy Orton Pinion, but for the next four, four months or so, the presentation of him absolutely ruined everything. Now, they were lucky in that Daniel Bryan was almost Teflon because he's so good that people were still willing to cheer for him. But they were similar to me. They'd lost that belief that he would ultimately come out on top because he just kept losing, just kept being overcome by the by the bad guys. So I, I don't agree whatsoever. Like Having lived this journey, I can promise you Daniel Bryan was hotter prior to SummerSlam than he was prior to WrestleMania. The other thing, though, regardless of that, is that everyone was talking about Randy Orton being a heel, Triple H being a heel. Now, I agree, they're both much better as heels, but not together and not as part of the fucking authority, all right? Because that was atrocious. And this was the night that began the authority. This night began the next two years of absolutely god-awful booking. And that's another reason to hate it, in my opinion. So for me... It was just all wrong. I understand the execution was great. And I understand if you watch it as a standalone show, like, wow, you know, amazing twist on the end of an amazing match. But long term, I think it was an utter, just ruinous mistake. Just absolutely crazy. Well, apart from that, you liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from all those things, it was cracking. I I tell you that 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 role where he was standing atop of the cage doing the yes. For me, that's one of the most memorable moments in in any row in history for me and i think that that's he was almost at his peak at that point every person in that crowd was doing the yes chant for me that's that's as hot as he ever was i think we'll just have to agree to disagree because for me that was when they killed him stone dead (laughs) he should never have turned hill even even if they planned to do it just for two weeks they should never have done it it was a massive mistake i i get you Yes, the crowd were happy that he turned back to being a, a babyface, but it wasn't as intense. It, it, I'm, in my view, it wasn't as intense. It was just, it was like someone had poured, poured cold water on me right now. And I've been like, thank you. But oh, in terms of wanting to heat someone up, it's not the best. Anyway, we have to do, agree to disagree. Um, uh, fight. On. There'll be it's many fun. people as well. There'll be many people who do agree with you, Matt, and many people who don't want us or who don't see the problem with Randy Orton's cash in as well. And I, I, I understand that it's a the entertainment factor is there, but I think it relies on people not investing. That's the thing. I think if you invest in it, then you don't like this. If you don't invest, if you're just watching it purely on an artistic basis, then you'll love it. So that was my talking point, and I didn't know when to bring it in. See, I was wondering should I bring it in towards the end or not? But we have got. Another number of matches to go. And there are there are a number of things I could have brought up as my talking point. We'll all get right. to all of those in the second half.
Okay, welcome back. This SummerSlam 2013 begins with Justin Roberts introducing the host of SummerSlam, The Miz. We've already spoke about all of his stuff, so that's good. This is the 26th annual SummerSlam, and he announces the two main events, CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar, John Cena, and Daniel Bryan, with Triple H as the referee. Fandango then interrupts The Miz, blah, blah, blah. Then we go to the opening video in the style of a 70s cop show building to the two main events. I thought I quite liked that. It was a bit, bit I different. really liked it. And I also like the presentation of the indie guys against the uh, the other guys. I thought it was very good because there's obviously, I was going to say Cena Punk then, uh, <laughs> CM Punk and Daniel Bryan going up against these big lads, yeah. these big massive lads in WWE. They're massive as well. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Just a good way to set, set the scene. Although I did feel sorry for everyone else on the card because they don't mm. even they don't even get a fart. <laughs> they don't, get, don't get anything. When you've got a double main event, yeah, that's it. Who it? needs the rest? Who cares about the rest? I, I will say I hate that term though. Double main event. There's, there's only how, ever one main event. How about semi main event? Because that's one of my my pet peeves is when people go, oh, and in the semi final spot. It's like, it's not a fucking tournament. It's not WrestleMania. It's not a tournament. <laughs> Just because you like the word semi, I'll, gi- I'll give you that. <laughs> I-, I would go with co-main event, but yeah, yeah. semi-main event is fine. Well, well, to be honest, if it was meant to be me, it'd be full-on throbbing hard on main event. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's lovely. So our commentators are Michael Cole, JBL and Jerry Lawler. I'm pleased to report this is not the JBL of 2006. Oh, what a relief. And you know what, right? I must say, both JBL and The King will get into Cole because I think Cole is on fire this night. But JBL and The King are actually tolerable, which is amazing. <laughs> so... Yeah. That brings us to our first match of the night, which is a Ring of Fire match, which I think is the same as an Inferno match, I think. I'm guessing that Inferno was a bit too aggressive. Possibly, yes, possibly. It is Kane versus Bray Wyatt in Kane's first match on the main WWE roster. It lasts for just under eight minutes, and it ends when there's a whole load of interference from Harper and Rowan. They put a fire blanket on top of the flames to allow them to enter the ring, and then they basically help Wyatt beat Kane up, and then they hold Kane ready for Wyatt's sister Abigail, and Wyatt hits the sister Abigail and gets the pin. Matt, what did you think of this? This was a bit of a shit show, wasn't it? (laughs) Do you know what? I I think probably the, the best way I can describe this is spectacle that was it it was all about the fire surrounding the ring and how cool it was at least for the first few after every time they take a bump boom big flames come up and after the first few bumps i was like oh that's quite a cool visual then after a while i was like okay the next time they take a bump the flames are going to come up again so it started to get a bit annoying now aside from being a cool visual it was just an albatross that just dragged the match down. They couldn't do anything because they couldn't go too far near the ropes for fear that somebody would be set on fire. And the the finish just bugged me to no end. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I know at least I think it was about maybe halfway through the match. The um the outside interference from the Wyatt family, they started to try and, you know, interfere. Why didn't they do that from the second the bell rang? surely would have made sense to to try and do that but it took them a couple of minutes to think oh maybe maybe we need to get in and help him but of course they found the fire blanket or whatever the hell it was to get in and help and it was cool to see it was really cool to see Bray Wyatt again because I'm a big Bray Wyatt and Wyatt family fan 
So like their entrance, I love their entrance. So that was cool and interesting. Bray, this was his, you know, his debut in that character on pay-per-view. So he should have won. So the right man won. So that's great. The post-match was a little bit weak to me. The steel step shot. It's one of those things in wrestling that I think if you can't make it look good, just don't do it. Basically, for, for those who haven't seen it, they had Kane's head on a set of steps, grabbed another set of steel steps with the curve <laughs> to drop down. So Kane's head was essentially be sandwiched, but his head would be protected because it's within the curve. So he's not really getting properly hit. It's one of those that I just think if you can't make it look good, don't bother. But... They did. It wasn't necessary, but they uh, they took Kane out, dragged him away to location unknown. It, it, it wasn't the best start, but you know what? It was a win for Wyatt on pay-per-view and his debut gimmick. That'll do. For me, this was emblematic of Wyatt's entire run. It was promise, but no, no real delivery, no real execution. It was, oh, this is quite interesting. But there's no substance behind it. There's nothing. Like the whole Wyatt gimmick was like, what are they? Oh, we don't know. There's this whole Sister Abigail thing. Who's she? Well, we never find out. Who what are the buzzers? What's the significance of the buzzers? No idea. Because no one ever bothered to think about it or or explain it at any point. Think about Kane's story. There was this whole thing about who his parents were. There was this whole thing about, you know, how who whether the Undertaker had set the fire or not, right at the beginning. And over the course of the two, three years of the first years of the gimmick. They unraveled all that stuff. They told you what happened. That's how you do this. But rather than that, they just kept, as I've said, this generic mysteriousness that we're never going to find anything about because they've not thought about it. And they've never then thought, well, what could we make of it? And never thought made anything of it. So if it was emblematic of all of that. It was kind of like great gimmick, great start. And then, as you say, Matt, the gimmick of the fire wore off very quickly. It was a nice little kind of visual, as you say. It was pretty, pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, once you've seen it, much like so many of these gimmick matches, once you've seen it, it, it's 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 over. There's nothing there's nothing more. Imagine how fucking hot they must have been as well, all that that flame (laughs) around them. Like Michael Cole and JBL and Jerry Lawler comment on the fact that they can feel the heat coming off the ring. But I bet that's true. There's fucking flames around the ring. Of course it's hot. Like and they're in the middle of it. I cannot imagine how hot it must have been. I'll bet it was unfucking I'll bet it was almost as unbearable as watching the match. I bet it was almost as unbearable as as hot as it is now. (laughs) So, not Bray Wyatt's first match. Husky Harris was in the SummerSlam main event a few years previous. No, that's not on you, Tinky. That's on the commentators. So, all I could think when I was watching this is in WWE, uh, in AEW, someone would be doing a two-piece of receiver through those ropes. And fucking old, uh, what's his name? It's Scalabo would be, two-piece and yeah, and then I got bored. This match is not very good. As we all established, it's not particularly very good. So you've got Bray Wyatt going up against Kane. Kane's a big man. We all know he's a big man. But what can Kane do? He can lose. And he can lose convincingly. And no one will give a shit 17 seconds afterwards. But what do they do? They have him largely dominate the match. So much so that Bray Wyatt, this very dangerous man, mysterious individual, has to have his mates. Well, his family. Well, they're not family, are they? They're not related. Uh, they have to come in and they have to save him. And then they do the whole weird shit at the end where they drag him to the back, which I assume they either looked after him and they were saving the referees a job or they just took him back and then they were like, what do we do with him? <laughs> but, I don't know. Just leave him here. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we just leave him on a bench. Yeah, cool. Oh, it's not a bench. Oh, OK. Oh, hang on. Hang on. We're, we're in gorilla position. There's Vince McMahon over there. Chuck him on Vince. Yeah. Vince, what do we do? Ah! 
I hated it. I got to be honest, I actively hated this. Because for everything that you boys have said, and particularly you, Matt, four seconds in, I'm like, yeah, cool, fire, don't care. I know what's happening as well. I know exactly what's happening. As soon as Kane starts dominating, I'm like, well, they're going to get involved. The old Wyatt family. So Lukey Harper, rest in peace. And Eric Rowan, Korea, rest in peace. They're all just going to get involved. And it's not going to be very good. And it wasn't very good. And to your point, Tinky, to bring it all, all round lovely, it is 100% emblematic of Bray Wyatt's career in WWE in that it's all far no shit. <laughs> they don't ever fully commit. And it's a waste, possibly. Don't know. But this then reminded me of Legacy. Of fucking <laughs> WrestleMania 30. And then I was angry for a little bit. This match that we watch in SummerSlam. So a little tap on the nail. Just like piercing the wood a little bit on the coffin that is Bray Wyatt. <laughs> and, and, and by the time they get to uh, WrestleMania 30, John Cena is there with one of those, like, I don't know, like automatic nail guns. He's going round. He's going on the sides. He's sticking <laughs> in his asshole. That fucking shit, isn't it? <laughs> I enjoyed that John Cena Bray Wyatt match. You're a fucking animal. <laughs> what, what a way to fucking kill him. Tell you what, right? T- Tinky's talked about how they killed Daniel Bryan in this match. They hung Bray Wyatt up and then chopped his guts out. Fucking Mussolini style at WrestleMania 30. It's fucking awful. Not just a wrestling commentary, but he also mixed in some of his history degree there as well. Yeah, there you go, there you go. They did, but I still enjoyed the match. Because, like, Bray Wyatt did have... I did think he had some really good moments. And I don't think it's all necessarily him. From what I've seen, from what I've read and all that jazz... He seemed incredibly committed to the character and he seemed to know what it was and what it was about. But yeah, you know, you guys are right. They never fucking bothered to explain it to us. Although I will say, and I'll go on record as saying, I would much rather them not have explained it to us than they actually went ahead with that fucking Finn Balor Bray match where he was meant to be dressed as a pumpkin. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to have to send you a picture of this because this was utter shit. Never, never, no, no clue. Pumpkin oh. Bray Wyatt. They were, they basically, they, it was going to be a, uh, it was a TLC pay per view. They were going to do Bray Wyatt dressed as Sister Abigail versus Finn Balor dressed as the Demon, and it looked shit. And one of them got injured, I think, which is why the match thankfully never happened. Oh yeah, it was TLC. Oh yeah, yeah, Finn Balor was going to be like a pumpkin. Um, Bray Wyatt, for those who don't know, was going to basically look like Team Wolf's dad. <laughs> it, oh my god, it was fucking horrendous. Well, he's another one. See, I've said this before about Finn Balor as well. He's another one. What, what does the demon mean? It's fucking nothing. It's just stupid. It doesn't mean anything. Like, give us some fucking context. Give us some substance. There's nothing to it. But that's the thing. There's no substance to it. So, Matt, I, I think you're right as well. I don't think, I don't blame Bray Wyatt for it. I bring, I do blame WWE. I blame WWE for the booking, the way or what old man said is absolutely right about WrestleMania 30. They cut him, cut the legs right from underneath him. There's no need for John Cena to win the match. And if you need John Cena to win the match, don't fucking book him against Bray Wyatt, someone who could potentially be your next Undertaker, effectively. Like, he, he could be that person at that time. Maybe not now, but he could have been. Mm. Um, you know, and then they just kept doing it. They just kept destroying any kind of momentum he got. And on top of that, didn't give the character the opportunity to 
evolve or reveal anything about himself or and then they took they shored him of the of the cult that he had rather than adding to it they should have added to it there loads of people in his cult um but no just yeah just really uninspiring so, all i could think when they were taking kane backstage i was like why didn't they have him come out as a member of the family the next night on raw because you, you've spoken about this before, Tinky, how they should have grown it. Should have got Sister Abigail. Oh, a female yeah, yeah. Uh, Sister Abigail. No, 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 no. Th- th- that's one that I'm massively against. Why? Because it's a woman. Because hate he women. hates women. Yes. He hates women. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> no. <laughs> the whole idea with Sister Abigail was there was a, that was the one thing that he had that was quite mysterious and nobody quite knew. And it's fine to have a little bit of mystery. That is where it should have stayed. I would I would have loved it if he talked more about her, if we found more about her history, but there was absolutely no need to bring somebody in and call her Sister Abigail. That I'm massively opposed to. I totally disagree. What's the point in it if you're never going to do anything with it? If, you, if it's just going to be this mysterious nonsense. Like, if you're going to do mystery, you've got to eventually explain it. It can't just be this nondescript thing. It's so lazy. And that's what they do with all of them. That's what they do with Malachi Black's got the same thing going on. Just completely nonsensical, pointless mystery. And there's no, you know, there's no resolution to it. It's like Lost, but a wrestling character. <laughs> that's such a good explanation. I love that. No, they, they, I think they could have opened up a bit more about it, but no. They, I, I, and I wouldn't have trusted them, like, at all. To do a sister Abigail character. That is fair. That is fair. I just felt that, for example, Bo Dallas should, as he is his brother after all, should have just been part of it. It just made sense. He wasn't doing anything for most of that time, so fucking chuck him in there. I think that's the other thing. People were making the mistake of talking about Luke Harper and Eric Rowan at the time as being like their own their own act. Like they're going, oh, these guys are really good. They should do their own thing. It's like, no, don't get me wrong. I know that they're good. I know Luke Harper in particular is a really good wrestler. But Luke Harper in the WWE was never going to be anything more than a follower. So let's just keep him as a follower for forever. He's far more valuable to WWE, picking up what Bray Wyatt is and surrounding Bray Wyatt and making Bray Wyatt's character more important than doing something on his own. And also what you get is you get the opportunity to have those wonderful six-person tag matches that mm. they were having where, like, you know, we have to, we've eulogised about these on the pod before. Like, that series they have with the Shield, but they were having matches with everyone. Oh, it's amazing. What a time. See, you know we watched that fucking luchador shit that was six <laughs> people? That's the kind of shit I want in there. People get beat up. And this dancing stuff. Right. Well, we need to move on because we've been on this for a long time. And there's still plenty to cover, including one of the co-main events. So come on. We then get some time with the kickoff panel. Oh, my favorites. <laughs> Josh Matthews, Booker T, Shawn Michaels and Vicky Guerrero. There's footage of from the kickoff show, show where there's a clip of Paul Heyman cutting a promo about David and Goliath. And he says Lesnar will lay waste to CM Punk and we will never see Punk again. Then reveals that Lesnar v Punk will be no disqualification tonight. Mm. So it didn't happen because we did see CM Punk again. Not for long though. No, that is true. He was he was halfway out the door at this point. If I remember rightly, this is one of the matches that was kind of the the thing yeah. that kind of started nudging him down that path where he was like, these motherfuckers don't respect me. Well, this was the last of three matches against part timers that he was booked mm. to lose against. Basically, yeah. he was just he was just done with it. You know, he okay, you know it was obviously the Rock and then brought and then brought Lesnar before that the Undertaker. So yeah. Quick note on the kickoff panel. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine spending the whole show with Josh Matthews and Booker <laughs> T? Fucking hell. I mean, 
Sean Michaels, uh, he's he's had his uh, he's had his problems, but he seems like a decent man. Vicky Guerrero seems like a good woman. Booker T's got notes in front of him. <laughs> it's all that, yeah. What the fuck are his notes? Don't be a cunt. <laughs> didn't fucking work for him, did it? <laughs> oh, that's nasty. He's not a cunt. He he's just not. spouts utter drivel. Yes. Especially on commentary. Sorry, Booker. So then Damien Sando walks out. He cuts a promo about duos in literature history. This is something, something to be up your um, neck of the woods, old man, with your history degree. Sorry, so it's going to be up my neck of the woods. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The quick the quick brown fox jumps over the hairy <laughs> gate. That's the one. So <laughs> he says that in each case, there is a superior member of the duo. And Cody was his equivalent, the sidekick to his uh, main character. This precedes Damien Sandow versus Cody Rhodes, a match that lasts for just about six and a half minutes and it ends when cody hits the crossroads for the win old man what did you think of this one well so just after i think it is old sandow does his little promo someone says something can't remember what but it's going to be revealed on the jbl and cold show on youtube now apparently this channel has 1.5 million subscribers i was like you know what right fair fucking play half a million views i said oh okay that's good so you've got they see a load of fucking sheep that are following you. But just like sheep, they clicking on those links, they're eating grass. I got a feeling that they were saying it's on the WWE YouTube channel, which has got 1.5 million subscribers at that time. Uh, and they had had 500,000 views. Maybe. That would make more sense because it did seem like a very odd boast. <laughs> I was a bit like, that's, a, that's like me saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I spent uh, 10 million quid on this. And then, then I sold it. 30 quid. Lovely old job. <laughs> uh, just, to, just to be clear as well, <clears throat> nine years later, WWE have got 89.6 million subscribers on YouTube. But I mean, it's a different world now. Yeah. Well, and interestingly, I mean, I say interestingly, that's probably stretching it. But I did read yesterday that apparently they've just had their 70 billionth view. Yeah, which is a lot. There's more than seven. It's some. Yeah, it is some. You're that's absolutely it. right. You're absolutely that's right. That's it. Those are the feet I wonder. Wow, that's it. Just sad the, people tossing off. The thing they were advertising was find out why Cody Rhodes has no longer got a mustache. That's it. <laughs> I, you, you know what I reckon? Because he shaved it off. Possibly. But did yeah. you watch the JBL and Cole show? Absolutely not. Well, you, yeah. can't, you can't make assumptions. It's out there to find. So. Yeah, I'll be honest, mate. I was too busy not watching it to watch it. <laughs> it's it's taken up the last couple of days not watching that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to the match. So this is suitably energetic, I think, after the first match. They do a very good job of picking the energy up in the room because I do think that, especially with the afters and a very short opening match, that as we've said, isn't particularly good. And then the break where they have to take the stuff off because the shit that we've just talked through, it's, it's a good four or five minutes where they've obviously got to take this fucking crap fire stuff off. So we've got to take the blanket off and then possibly burn their eyebrows off because they haven't turned the stuff off. And that's where King Kong Bundy came in as well with his lack of eyebrows. But yeah, Cody does a suplex thing. It's like, um, I can't what they're called. A, a package. Is that a package mm-hmm. suplex? Like a muscle buster. Muscle buster. Thank you, lads. <laughs> I, I, I've always used that as a code for a wank, to be honest. So didn't know it was a wrestling move. This is absolutely fine. That is absolutely fine. It happens. But 
This is classic WWE, isn't it? Damien Sandow's got the Money in the Bank World Heavyweight Championship briefcase. Now, apparently Cody Rhodes has lobbed his other one in the river, which is poor form. I hope they fished it out. Probably didn't. But it means that Sandow has got a new one. This lovely fake leather. They're very clear to make out that it's fake leather as well, which I thought was a bit strange. But yeah, so he's got that and he's handcuffs it to the thing. But he's holding the Money in the Bank briefcase. So in theory, he's the guy that you're like, right, within the next like few months, we see this guy as a potential challenger for the title. So much so that he's going to lose to Cody Rhodes in six minutes and 40 seconds on one of our biggest shows. The biggest party of the summer! And Damien Sandow was just shit the bed. And that was pretty much what he took from the match. And also he didn't get a lot in either. I just thought this was a way of going, Damien Sandow, you're not very good and we bat the wrong horse. Bye. <laughs> That's pretty much what, to be honest, like I know he was there for a few years afterwards. That's what I took from this. It was just like, nah, sorry, maybe we got this wrong. So it's my best if you fuck off now. He wasn't there that much longer. I think maybe a year or just mm. over a year. Like it really wasn't long. I mean, he went into the Miz's stunt gimmick after this. Mm. And then and then that was it. That was pretty much the last thing they did with him once they split them up. I, I wanted to cut in there because this was a time, as I said, I've watched WWE quite intensely during this period. And SmackDown had nobody. Like it had no stars, pretty much. Cody Rhodes and Damian Sandow were immense on SmackDown all year, all through the summer. They'd been absolutely brilliant. Their story and the stuff they were doing with them two was really entertaining and carried SmackDown throughout the summer. So to give them this six and a half minutes on the on the SummerSlam show, I thought was pretty poor because they deserved more. They were easily mm. the most, most interesting thing about SmackDown. And they actually made SmackDown a relatively watchable show at the time. And to be honest, they did with a lot of Money in the Bank winners. They kind of had them win the Money in the Bank and then had them win, not win a single match for like six months and mm. then cash in and win it. And it was like why do you why are you doing that that's just weird yeah but and never mind but yeah it was fine i do you know i i think the the, the only sort of mileage they got out of this was uh sandow cutting a promo at the start of the match really that's all they wanted from him he was he was the character guy wasn't he you know he'd come out do his shtick and it'd be over or it wouldn't but you know i did they wanted it to be over but yeah it, the match wasn't uh it wasn't long enough to to really you know become anything it was it was starting to get good to be fair and you know cody certainly pulled out all the stops like we said you know the the muscle buster is, is at, at the time it's not something you would have seen often in the WWE ring, so so that was cool. The only thing that that I've got to say in terms of the, those guys as a team, I absolutely despise their tag team name, Team Road Scholars. Ugh, just doesn't roll off the tongue. Just sounds absolute shit to me. But and it's really weird watching Cody then, like compared to now as well. The the difference in presentation and I think probably his own confidence as well is a lot different but they, they could have actually done a little bit more with this i think if it had maybe two three minutes more could have possibly developed into something but it was okay i think what you've identified there though matt is how important presentation is to a wrestler you present them well people will take them seriously it's really that simple i thought with cody rhodes he's hamstrung by his fucking awful music as well <laughs> his music ah! <laughs> and he's not even got the only smoking mirrors thing that he used to have what was that ted debiasi because they're very similar music both not very good at this period i'm not sure if there was even a fart to be honest in this all anal hair no fart yeah <laughs> damien sandow would eventually not manage to be successful when he cashed in his money in the bank in october against john cena who had become world heavyweight champion a couple of months after the show so he basically just switched title that they gave him because that's what they did with cena yeah. yes he, he failed to failed i think he might have been the first or at least if he wasn't the first he was a very rare loser 
I think he was the first, which is it's always good to be the first to something, unless it's the first dead. I think John Cena was the first, actually. I was going to say, John might have been John oh. Cena. I think it was the year prior. I was reminded when we, I was watching the Cena match of the first time I saw the uh, Cena enough sign, which I really enjoyed. And I was uh, very clever, very clever. Anyway, enough about that shit. Get, come on, get on with it, Tinky. You're derailing us all over the place here. Well, talking about the World Heavyweight title, that is up next. Before the World Heavyweight title match, there's a video package that focuses on Christian's career and all the stuff he's done as part of it. It's Alberto Del Rio against Christian for the title. It's a 12 and a half minute match and Christian ends up losing when Alberto Del Rio locks in the cross arm bar and Christian taps. Matt? I wasn't sure if I missed something here because based on the video package, I could have sworn Christian was retiring if he lost this match. It felt like his farewell. I, I, I don't know if anybody else thought that. Well, was it not his farewell? Because because he did disappear from WWE television and never had uh, a retirement angle. Like Basically, it was one of those things where he kind of just disappeared from television at some point and there was nothing said about it. There was no kind of retirement angle. There was no speech or anything. Just quickly looking, he did appear actually not much after this. So... He was involved in a few matches on Raw in the new year, but he was this was his last match until the new year, pretty much. Well, he suffered a concussion on March 24th, the following year. Right. And that was that was him done then. Right. Well, I, I knew he was done, probably wouldn't have been not long after. But yeah, like the, the video package, it, it just felt like, you know, we were invited to his private retirement party. And I was like, oh, OK. I mean, like the announcers didn't say anything. So I just found that, you know, a little bit confusing at the start. But you know, showing all his career highlights and everything. And I was like, oh, OK. But yeah, as, as far as a match goes itself, I'm not usually a big fan of Alberto Del Rio, got to be honest. Um, if ever there was a character that I felt they just, not, not even just the character, just a, a wrestler overall, just shit the bed, um, I think it was him. But every now and again, he did seem to have a relatively good match. And this is one of those examples. Now, I don't think I liked it quite as much as the crowd did, because I think it was around about halfway, you could start to hear that this is awesome chance. I was like, I'm not quite there. I was like, it's good, perfectly good match, and I am enjoying it, don't get me wrong. I would not have gone into into the into this is awesome. That being said, the last two to three minutes really did start to pick up for me a little bit then, so I thought that was cool. You know, like the, the near falls and the Christian hitting the spear and then, you know, taking the time to... You know, to not you know not get the cover, and then Del Rio manages to get the armbar on him and tapped him out. That was a good little finish. But yeah, so like it, it was a good match. And Christian, I, I don't think he gets enough props for what a tremendous babyface this guy really is. Like of all the live shows I've seen as well, in particular, he always has one of the best matches on the live shows, and he's just such a good babyface. Like I said, I, I don't think it was I was as high on it as others were, but. It was definitely pretty good. I just need to quantify your statement about Dario not having enough good matches because he was too busy allegedly beating women. That's the problem that he's got because he's a horrible piece of shit. So I've got that out of the way because now I'm going to put him over a little bit. I thought this was really good. I really enjoyed this. I thought they they built into it lovely. We started off on a bit of a bum note to us because Del Rio doesn't get his full music and I fucking adore Del Rio's music. It's interesting you say this, old man, because I, I agree. 
Mm. But I actually quite like this version too. Give over. No, I do. I quite like it. You're it's, a fucking turncoat. It's a bit more goey. It's a bit more. Da, 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 da. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I, I really like oh, it. I do prefer the original, but mm. for for something that's not the original, and usually I'm like, oh. actually, yeah. I really quite like it. I also think that it's actually quite a wise move because from memory, because I was watching reasonably regularly at this point. He was starting to get some quite positive reactions. And I think you take that great music away from him. That's it. That's his crutch. JBL describes this as Christian's last best chance to win the title. I don't know what his last worst chance is. I don't know when that's coming. Maybe he's still waiting for it. Del Rio is very aggressive in this match, which I very much appreciated because he's he's just fucked off with Christian. I don't really know why. Think this is the one thing about the video. I found the video to your point, Matt, that it felt like a uh, if he doesn't win, he's getting booed out the back door. Like that's what it felt like. And it really um it all I didn't mind the video actually, because it made me kind of realise, oh Christian's actually pretty good, isn't he? But it did kind of think like why is he losing if you're doing that video? Like it's it's all a bit strange. But the match itself, there's some lovely stuff. I talked about this so many times. I love someone working over a limb when they've got a submission move. Just makes sense. He works over Christian's arm, lovely. Christian sells it an absolute fucking treat. He forgets at one point when he's going to put the kill switch in, but then remembers. And I was like, ah, go on, lad. There's a lovely backstabber by Del Rio off the top rope. For some reason, he sat on the top rope with his back to the moon. Didn't really make any sense the way that it had been set up, but there's a lovely drop kick by Del Rio into the face of Christian as he goes for the spear, which looked phenomenal. And I just thought that it just told a nice little story about an angry man who's champion, who's really annoyed about this old fart getting a title match. And I know Christian's not an old fart, but that's kind of what it felt like. He's a bit like, you're beneath me. You've had your chance. I'm not fucking interested in this and I really enjoyed the finish because uh, it wasn't shit and I thought that's what they were going they were going to go towards like the cross arm breaker because I I knew that Christian didn't win but I quite liked how they got there and yeah I enjoyed this yeah I thought this was really good I thought this was a really good match mm. nice little 12 minute match can't argue with that whatsoever mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of Christian I, I'm a little bit lower on him than most people I think that part, I think well of course waist That's high it. as always partially though I think that is because I missed most of the time that people really think he shone in like 2005 2006 that kind of period where he was like a you know captain charisma and everyone thought he was amazing I kind of missed all that so I didn't really see it so it's, it is unfair maybe for me to judge him but from what I've seen I think I've said this before. For me, Vince Man is entirely justified in believing he wasn't good enough to be in the main event. Maybe, maybe not from a talent perspective, but just ultimately from a just star quality. I just don't think he's got the star quality to be a main event guy. But this was really decent, and I really liked it. I think Del Rio, such a shame, he's a complete cunt because I think he's very talented, and it's a real shame mm. that we can't we can't have good things sometimes. <laughs> because I think he is really good, and this was a good match. I was yeah, I really liked it. I'll tell you what I didn't like. The afterwards with him and Renee Yi. I didn't get it. As you say, yeah. after the match, Renee Young tries to get a comment from ADR in the ring. He says it's a great night and great for all the Latinos as he is representing them. He then says the Latinos need a hero and they have one. Alberto Del Rio does speak a little bit in Spanish, I believe, during this period as well. Insists prior to the match that Lillian Garcia announces him in Spanish as well. I don't really know what they were going for. Were they trying to get heat on him from the Latinos as well as the non-Latino fans? What were they trying to do? Well, 
that's what I couldn't get because to be honest, like the way that he's talking initially, and I think it gets away from him, I actually think that he is actually talking quite passionately about it. And then I think he checks himself, he realizes he's like, Oh, hang on, I'm the heel here. But it's so weird. It's such a weird thing. I'm not a big fan of these fucking post-match in-ring interviews anyway, because they're always crap. Not just post-match. I say leave all interviews, all talking, out of the ring. Shouldn't Mm. be in the ring ever. What about when the ref goes, ring the bell? Would you have him step outside the ring and go, ring the bell, and then get back in? Lovely. Yeah, totally. And then when he's counting, he does the count, and then goes outside, he goes, one, two, three. But everyone knows it's already over anyway. And And the ring announcers have to stand outside the ring they're not allowed to fucking stand in the <laughs> lovely. ring lovely yeah. oh that's lovely you know the the mma fan in me wouldn't necessarily mind it as as long as they use the time wisely and did it for a purpose like mm-hmm. it, you know if they called somebody out you know started their next food or something great they, they do it in the octagon all the time bring in the next opponent or that 30 seconds of talk time they've got at the end of the fight or whatever who do you want next it's nearly always the question they get asked they did that, that that'd be cool who, who do you want next or other words who has Dana White told you you'll have next, basically? And that does happen to me. The amount of times, though, I swear to God, that people go, ah, I don't care. Give me whoever's next. Never, ever say that because you're just going to get some really shitty fight there. But yeah, I digress. I'll tell you what, we've just hit on the reason why WWE don't do that. It's because they don't know who's next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like Goldberg used to ask who's next. Who knows? That's what, yeah, that, that's what WWE asking. So next up, we get some footage from the SummerSlam fan access and footage of Maria Menounos in the ring. We've spoken about this already. Then the Miz and Maria Menounos backstage with an interview and they get interrupted, blah, blah, blah. So we're then up to the Total Divas advertisement match between Natalia and Brie Bella. A five minute, 20 second contest, which ends with an Alabama slam by Natalia into a sharpshooter to get the win. Matt, you already commented earlier that you had some thoughts on the female matches in this uh, show. This is your chance to talk about them. Welcome to the I Hit Women segment of the show. Uh <laughs> That, that's good can we just quantify that i is matthew can we just clarify that every time Obama said quantify he means clarify uh, can, can i just quantify that i didn't mean clarify can i just clarify that he's wrong he meant clarify yeah quantify what's that mean it means measure by numerical means i mean basically the same word <laughs> they sound relatively similar yeah well, do you know what? I will happily quantify my position on the show anyway. <laughs> You're not going to. You're going to clarify it. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, either one. Um, no, okay. not either one. You're just using the word wrong. <laughs> Come on, grammar Nazi. Sit down. Okay. Take a anyway, day off. This... What? I hate the women's matches every single one of them no but I did hate this one this reminded me of the you know oh look the divas have come it's time to go take a piss it just wasn't any good and what really pissed me off about this and to be honest I, I still feel for a, a little bit to this day is Natalia is far far better i personally feel that she gets a lot of credit for and she was working with the company at a time where do you know what her talents just couldn't be properly appreciated because she had to work with the dregs like brie bella 
you know, on a pay-per-view match, you know, it, no, it, it was just absolutely no need for it. I mean, as we've established with JoJo coming out to do a subpar singing at the start of the show, this was an advert for Total Divas, which they were obviously trying to promote at the time, and it, and it obviously did pretty good for them. So, okay, I understand it from that perspective. But this was still at the point, of, and the crowd were there as well, because they got bored, they were chanting for Michael Cole, they were chanting for JBLs. I may, I may be, but you know what? I felt their frustration. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I would have chanted for Michael Cole or Jerry Lawler while I was there, but you know what? I'd be saying, mm, let's go get some merchandise maybe right now, because the match just wasn't any good, and they typically weren't at this time. This was a prime example of that, and again, Natalia's a lot better and deserves a lot better, and I felt she did then. You know, don't get me wrong, she, she does get a lot more sort of uh, TV time and everything today, but I personally think that she deserves to be a lot of a bigger star but yeah match quality piss poor wasn't great like i said natalia did everything she possibly could wasn't good skip it if you're gonna watch the show totally skip it the full list of chants include jbl michael cole jerry we want tables and we want rider woo 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 i was wondering what that one was when i heard the woo 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 i was like what the hell is that about I despised the crowd during this moment because what you have is you have six women being enormously disrespected anyway with this match because there is nothing to this match. And it's because of that, no one cares. But also, like, that's why people should care in the crowd and not be fucking idiots because it's just really disrespectful. Anyway, now back to your Natalia point. You know what Natalia is? to WWE, she is that comfortable pair of tracksuit bottoms that you've got at home that you never wear out (laughs) because she is very good. But a bit like these tracky bottoms where you've got a little hole in them and you've not bothered to get it repaired, they haven't tried with her at all. They haven't done anything with her. So when she does something, it doesn't matter at all. Like she fought Ronda Rousey. They tried their fucking darndest to turn it into a feud. No one give a shit. Now, I, I think that's partly on Rousey. I think people are tired of Rousey now. But I feel bad for her as well because she put in the fucking, she's put in and continues to put in these fucking hard yards. But when you're serving up stuff like this, it ain't a wonder because, and she is on a different planet to most of them. But you put Sasha Banks in there with Brie Bella, she made you fucking care. Even in this, she made you fucking care and she made you live it for five minutes and 19 seconds. And they don't really try to, they slap the fucking shit out of each other right at the start of the match. And I was like, fucking hell, they're just going to beat each other up. But as Tinky said, it's a glorified advert for Total Divas and it is treated as such by the commentators and it is treated as such by the cunt crowd. They're cunts as well because they then get to watch Lester CM Punk afterwards. So I already don't like them. But yeah, just a real sad waste and a real good way to disrespect some women. It's almost like you booked the card, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I largely agree with what you've said, except Matt when you said it wasn't very good because I actually thought it was really perfectly decent. I thought what they did was one of the tidiest women's matches of the time that I have seen. I genuinely thought it was really genuinely very decent for the not just for the time. I, I if they put this match on now, I would say yeah, that was all right. That was that was all right. They only had five minutes after all. It was all really well done. It was very tidy. There were some nice moments. It's just the presentation just is massively dreadful. It is a total diva's advert, and the thing is, the fans know it. There's no other reason for the match to happen. The reason that these women are wrestling is only apparent to people who watch. 
Total Divas. And that is a different audience than watches SummerSlam, who are about to watch CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar. That's a completely different audience. So they shit on it because they don't appreciate Total Divas and they don't appreciate it now invading what they consider to be their show. They, and I agree with old man, they are cunts because it's still three people doing their work and trying to wrestle in front of a crowd. But ultimately, that's why they're doing it. It's not just, it's not because they're women or they don't in any way respect them. It's because they don't like that this is now invading their thing. But I thought that the action was really quite decent. I said a very decent match. Shame about the crowd that was my kind of sum up note on this and I, I yeah i was actually really impressed so in many respects i'm kind of agreeing with you about natalia as well because i think natalia is a very talented woman she's been unfortunate that her time or the timing of her career has kind of started quite a long time before wwe changed their attitude towards how they presented women's wrestling she had been there since 2008 so she'd been there seven years before sasha banks charlotte and becky lynch turned up and she's still there but they do, as old man said, they kind of see her as a safe pair of hands, basically. They see her as, I guess, the Miz of the women's division is kind of how they see her, I suppose. And that's meant she's had a really long career. She's 40 now, which is pretty old for a woman to, for WWE to, to allow them to continue to wrestle for them. Because they are certainly ageist when it comes to women. But she's had a long career, but certainly hasn't quite lived up to the promise it had, given how talented she is. So backstage, people are getting some food. Ryback starts to bully one of the caterers. He says that the soup is cold. The caterer then says the soup is supposed to be served cold because it is gazpacho soup. Ryback tells him to take it away and then pours it down the caterer's top. Which means he can't take it away. What a fucking fool. He then pours a load more soup all over his head. He then says, feed me, moron. Uh, Ryback is certainly not an ambassador of WWE's Be A Star program, is he? Says Jerry Lawler. Uh, so, well, so I can remember this clear as day. I knew that this had happened. I, I didn't know it was on this show. And when I saw the cage where I was at, see, and I'm like, what are they trying to achieve? Like, now, I appreciate, like, we talked about this. Ryback, always over. Always crowd loving. Crowd love a shit fucking basic piece of gammon. That's what they love, apparently, who can't really wrestle. What are they trying to do? I mean, they're obviously trying to get the heat on him. He's fucking bullying some guy who is not really small enough to be like, oh, he's a really horrible bully and he beats other small guys because he's quite tall, the guy. But I'm just like, what the fuck is this? This is on a pay-per-view as well. A pay-per-view? Not just a pay-per-view, a SummerSlam. Paper. Yeah, it's not. It's not like he's on, you know, Backlash or a no. Hell in a Cell or something. It's on SummerSlam. Unbelievable. It probably should have been in the main event slot, to be honest. <laughs> it's brilliant. I'd have preferred it to the Randy Orton cash in. Oh, that's nice. I really like this. <laughs> so Map Two would have preferred it to the Randy Orton cash in. <laughs> yeah. And honestly. I'm really shocked at myself for enjoying it <laughs> I, because this is normally the load of shit that I'd hate. But like I, I first watched it and I'm not going to lie. At first, my first reaction was, what the fuck was that about? But then I just stopped and thought and thought, hang on, because my first reaction once I saw him like tip all the soup and everything was, what a prick. But then I thought, well, that's the reaction. That's what they want you to think. What a prick. And you want to see him get his ass kicked by somebody. So I thought, Ah, that must have worked. Job done. What a prick. <laughs> you know what? Can't really argue with that. <laughs> I think the thing is, is this is something that should have been saved for Raw. Let's just, let's yeah. just leave it at that. Just leave it for Raw. 
You don't need to do it at SummerSlam. Just yeah. leave it for all. You know, and then and then have him have a match later in the night so that you can draw on that heat that you've just got from what he's doing backstage to the caterer. And then everyone go, you know, can cheer when I don't know, John Cena beats him up or whatever. Video, there's a video package next, which is hyping the CM Punk Brock Lesnar match. Oh, there's footage good. of Heyman and Punk talking about their relationship and Punk holding the WWE title. Then there's footage of Heyman turning on Punk at Money in the Bank. Heyman explaining that he did it because without Paul Heyman, Punk is not the best in the world. Not a great explanation, from my opinion. My opinion. Then a <laughs> then a brawl between Lesnar and Punk. Lesnar beats him down after a short exchange of moves. Oh, that's, that's it's great. It was very, it's very good. Like you said, it's a bit flimsy. Yeah. The uh, the reason that he turns on him. But I loved the uh, bit where Paul Heyman is on the ramp and they're obviously talking shit to each other and Punk's in the ring and then there's this music hits. Oh, it's fucking great. When they do stuff like that right, it's very good. It's pretty much always with Lesnar as well, to be honest, because he's the only one that they've got who's everyone's just like, fucking shit! Mum, wake up! You see that big fucking cunt in the ring? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he beat him up, man. He beat him up, that cunt. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. He's just a fighter cunt into a ring post. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> i tell you what, and what disappoints me about it, though, as I said, is that the, the explanation is shit. And mm. this isn't like, no, this isn't anybody. This is Paul Heyman and CM Punk. It is Paul Heyman, you're right. I expect more from them. I expect them to think, you know what? Take that script away. I'll think of something better. Mm. And they they haven't. And I that I found that quite disappointing. The, the video package is good, but that I found really a letdown. Mm. And they did miss something else I found as well. I don't know if anyone remembers it, but Brock Lesnar did a promo on Raw in the run up to this, and I think they might have used maybe a line of it in the video package where he just basically talks about how, you know, CM Punk is an MMA trainer, one MMA fighter in training, you know, he tapes his fist to look hard and, you know, he, he goes to local, you know, jujitsu gyms and I'm a former champ. And that was such a great promo, the Brock cut. And I felt that that should have been more, more of that should have been made of in the package, which I don't think they did, which was a shame. Yeah, I think you're right. There is one line of it, I think, in there, but not much. Yeah. yeah. So that precedes the CM Punk Brock Lesnar match, which is no disqualification and lasts for 25 minutes. It's got a bit of a busy end. I won't I won't explain it all. I'm sure you guys will talk about bits and pieces of it. But effectively, what happens is that Punk goes after Heyman, locks him in an anaconda vice. But Lesnar then attacks Punk from behind with the chair, hits an F5 onto the chair and then pins him. Old man, what did you make of this? I thought this and I've done quite a bit of thinking about this since I watched it yesterday. I think this might be in my top five of all time. I remember very vividly. So me and Tommy and another guy used to live together. And I remember Tommy came downstairs and I was watching this show. So I never really watched it before. I couldn't remember enough all about it. <laughs> but this was literally just about to start. And his now wife was upstairs and uh, he was just like, oh, I might just watch the first couple of minutes of this. And then we just watched it. We were basically like blanking each other off, to be honest, come the end. And I've watched it once since. And that was probably a couple of years after. It's probably me and Tommy that had a couple of beers. And we watched it again. And I can remember it being good. I remember it being very good. But when I watched it yesterday, I was like, fucking hell. They're just fucking made for each other, these guys. It's absolutely made for each other. This, I think, is Punk's best run in WWE by a distance. I think his match with Undertaker of WrestleMania 29, which is built on an equally flimsy uh, premise as well, 
they have a fucking barn burner. And he, I feel like at that point in time as well, he gets that match out of The Undertaker. And he, like, really helped The Undertaker elevate. And I think Lesnar proper brings it. Lesnar looks like he's having the fucking time of his life in this match. He's, like, not, he's not smiling or grinning or anything. But you can just see he's having a good fucking time. He comes out of Beanie. I don't I forgot. I'd forgotten about Beanie Brock. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, old Beanie Brock. Big Beanie and Brock. Was, yeah. And I was like, yeah, he must be fucking hot. Nah. I mean, he must put it on. Because he's sweating within four seconds of the match start. Punk is the second most over person in terms of positive crowd reaction on this card. But by probably someone coughing a bit louder during Daniel Bryan's entrance, I think. The crowd fucking love him. I've got barely any notes because I was just fucking in it. I was like, I was balls deep. I had a fist in an asshole. I was any orifice I could find. I was in there. <laughs> it's so physical. They are beating the piss out of each other and having a great time doing it. There's the uh, Kimura into triangle sequence. So uh, Lesnar puts CM Punk into the Kimura and then Punk manages to get him into the triangle. Now, I had a question for you, boys, because I couldn't be bothered to check. Is this before or after Lesnar Taker, where Lesnar passes out and he gives Undertaker the middle finger when he's in the triangle? Before. It is before, isn't it? I thought it was, yeah. So I wrote down, I was like, is this a callback in their brackets? I don't think so. And there is the GTS by Punk, obviously, to Lesnar that looks fantastic and then Le- uh, Heyman makes the save and then <laughs> I'm laughing me at all. and then Heyman's just on top of him and he's just like punching him but he's punching him like an angry toddler would punch someone so there's no technique it is fan-fucking-tastic then there's like you explained Tinky there's the whole stuff the f5 to the chair for the finish is without a doubt the best version of this I've ever ever seen because it looks absolutely fantastic. You've got Lesnar on absolute fucking fire. Punk's on fire. Heyman is incredible. A fantastic story through the whole match. It's fucking unreal. Blew my little pants off. Almost had a stiffy. Match of the night. No question. Uh, Lesnar's my MVP as well. Because he's fucking amazing. But it's all right. Matt, before I uh, before I ask you what you thought, at the beginning of the match, I believe it's JBL, cries out, this is a big fight, feel. Now, I know you've got some very strong opinions about those words being used on wrestling mm. cards in the past. What did you make of it this time? This was a big fight, feel. The, the times where that phrase just come across as so forced, the, the, the crowd could tell you that this felt like a big deal in, in seconds, you know, for, from Brock coming out. And do you know, like, like you said, old man, Beanie Brock is, oh, he just means business. Mm. He just looks like the most terrifying fucking man on the planet when mm-hmm. he comes up with that hat. So, yeah, the, the big fight feel, 100%, they felt like that, yeah. And your thoughts on the match? Well, this match was absolutely fan-fucking-tastic from start to finish. It was... I would put it up there as one of Brock Lesnar's best. I would put it up there as one of CM Punk's best, certainly during his WWE run. They were 
both on fire during this. Um, there are so many, so many things I can say about this that, that I liked about it. A couple of things. The sort of story for me was Brock seemed really pissed at the fact that, you know, Paul was working with this guy and he was the best, you know, calling himself the best in the world. And, you know, Brock was like talking throughout the match saying like, you know, this is your boy. It's almost as if he's getting offended at the fact that, you know, who the fuck is this guy? I'm better than him. And he was out there to prove it. It, it was just physical it was intense the exchange of sort of mma holds i mean again i'm a little bit biased as far as that goes but i loved it uh the triangle finish do you know what that crowd would have bought that as a finish and do you know what i would have too if punk had made brock tap to the triangle i think it was the second time he added in it i would have had no problems if the if that was the finish because they were ready to believe it and it felt like that could have been the end and I would have been all for it if it was. And I actually, after the, the match, I was thinking, fuck, I so would have been okay if Punk would have won. And that's, that was potentially going to be one of my talking points. I, I would have been okay with that. But anyway, I digress. The power bomb off the off the triangle was absolutely brutal. The the finish at the end where sort of, you know, Punk had Paul's tie and was holding him on the ring apron. And, you know, Brock couldn't see that he had the tie and was going, no, no, you know, what the fuck are you doing, Paul? You know, like, let him... You know, let me go. So, you know, Lesnar was thinking, you know, Paul's out to screw me. and was getting pissed off. That caused him to get hit to the GTS. Fantastic false finish. Like you said, uh, oh man, that F5. Bloody hell. I'm amazed Punk isn't still spinning to this day the amount he he fucking threw him around. That was brutal. It was just, it, it, it was such an amazing match, which for me is why it's my match of the night. I was really torn between either having Brock or Punk as my MVP of the night, I'm slightly leaning towards Punk in this case. Um, and the only thing that makes me incredibly sad once the match was over, they would have had one hell of a series. And it's a fucking shame that we never got to see them run it back, because this was epic. I don't think it is one of their best matches of all time. I think it is their best match, both of them. I think it is, it was certainly in WWE. I can't really speak to a lot of Punk's career from the Ring of Honor stuff because I haven't seen a lot of it. But in terms of his WWE career, it's his best match, in my opinion. I think it's Brock's best match at WWE. I think it's the match of the night, contrary to what I thought nine years ago when I watched it. I think it's possibly the best match of the decade. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I think it's a like legitimate, absolute stone cold classic. Absolutely phenomenal that match. And the there's a few things I wanted to pull out on top of what you have. So first of all, there is a bear hug in this match, which genuinely looks painful. Brock yes. Lesnar does it to CM Punk. Never seen a bear hug that looks painful before. This one does. Lesnar hits a running powerbomb. What a phenomenal move that is. I haven't seen that since the days of D'Lo Brown. And old Brock Lesnar does it on Punk here magnificently. The thing that really makes it, though, is that when this match starts, I think there's a genuine concern from everyone involved that they aren't going to be able to sell the idea that this is a fair fight because Brock Lesnar is much bigger than CM Punk. Brock Lesnar has the legit fight background. CM Punk does not. Maybe the reason why they cut it out of the the video package, that Lesnar thing, because it would have only added to that sense of this is a bit of a mismatch in it. This is a bit silly. Mm -hmm. But at no point, at no point 
did it feel like a mismatch? And no point did it feel unbelievable that they were having this match and that they were they were able to compete with one another in this way. It comes down to almost the first two or three minutes. Punk hits a series of knees, and the last one, Lesnar falls to the outside. It looks brutal. Lesnar sells it magnificently with the bump that he takes, and it immediately puts you in the mode of okay, it's on. This is this is going to be a absolute war from start to finish and CM Punk is right in it and that's what makes it so good because from there it's just phenomenal they work so fucking hard this is the thing that I think people miss about Lesnar is he just works incredibly hard it's not just about also what he does but he's in the middle of the ring like to your point Matt where he's like say this is your boy like all of these mannerisms as well these are like expert veteran level things that he's doing you know he's he's absolutely in the moment selling the occasion selling his own emotion as the character that he's portraying hell maybe he even feels that way but that's part of it that's part of it you know you have to kind of make yourself believe it because then it comes out when you're in the ring it you you act in that way brock Lesnar is my my mvp of the night for for all the reasons that i think old man you said and the fact that I think he has to do more work than Punk to make this feel like a fair fight because he's the bigger guy. He has to sell for Punk. He has to go through stuff. He has to look surprised when Punk comes at him. He has to you know, really sell the idea that Punk could beat him. And he does. He manages to get that idea over. And it's just in stark contrast to the way he worked against, for example, Dean Ambrose a couple of years later, like where he just he had no there was no motivation in him to try and make Dean Ambrose look his equal. I presume because he just doesn't respect Dean Ambrose. He obviously respects CM Punk because you just can't do this job without kind of putting everything into it. Yeah, it is just phenomenal. There's maybe an argument, maybe an argument. The stuff with Heyman at the end maybe detracts a little bit from it. And I, I would have some sympathy for that argument, except it does seem to fit this whole thing. This is not really a feud between Brock Lesnar and CM Punk. It's a feud between mm. Paul Heyman and CM Punk. So he kind of has to be involved in some way in the end. It also does protect CM Punk somewhat. Not only is it, for me, Punk's best match in WWE, it's also his last great match in WWE, because obviously he left the company in January. And it was really good to see CM Punk go back and watch this time of CM Punk's career because it's easy to forget how good he is. I don't think he's hit these heights in AEW since he's been there. He looked sharper and more just just on it at this point than than I think he has been. And understandably so. He was away for nine years or whatever it is from the through the ring. You can't I can't blame him for that. But ultimately it was good to go back and remember just how good he was. And this is just it's just phenomenal. And it did make me sad too, Matt, because I thought, God, here's look at these look at these four men in the in the two main events. Lesnar, Punk, Brian and Cena. We do get some Lesnar and Cena stuff. There is a match between Lesnar and Brian. But a series of matches between Lesnar and Punk, a series of matches between Lesnar and Brian, we're missing it. We're, we didn't get it because Brian got injured and Punk fucked off. And it's such a shame because they would have had probably a number of absolute classics. But yeah, this is phenomenal. The shenanigans at the end with the Heyman distraction, that reeked to me of we want something in the bank. Yeah, maybe. Because we might want to revisit this. And obviously they didn't. And we'll never know whether that was going to be the plan for WrestleMania 30. I, or the Rumble, because uh, Lesnar did have a 
we have a pretty cracking match with the Big Show at the Rumble <laughs> the following year. This that lasts about two well, and a half minutes. There's a couple of things there. First of all, I don't know if it's about whether they want to continue CM Punk and Brock Lesnar. They probably would have done at some point, mm. but they had planned to extend this feud between Heyman and Punk right the way through to October, and Punk fought Ryback of all people for the next couple of months yeah. in order to do that. We know that it wouldn't have been Punk versus Lesnar at Rumble because Punk was at the rumble he walked out the day after and we know from what punk and daniel bryan have said since that punk was due to face triple h for wrestlemania and bryan was due to face sheamus so that that was the matches they had planned for them i think brock lesnar undertaker was always the plan for wrestlemania 30 mm. but at some point they would have got back to it it, it might have been the following year SummerSlam. it might have been the year after that at wrestlemania but at some point they would have gone back to it whatever the case it just glad that we got it because it is absolutely phenomenal one I, I agree with you man i think it may be in my top five matches of all time it's that good and i was stunned when i watched it this time because as yeah. i said i remember believing quite firmly that daniel bryan johnson was a better match that's a great match but it, yeah. it to follow this it just yeah. it couldn't it could it only just managed it because this was so good i don't even remember it being this good like no. i don't even remember it being no, I don't. half this good no, I don't. And it was, it was, but it is, it is so good, so good. Yeah, it's very rare that I watch. So we had this. It was me. It was me. I think it was you, Matt, and James when James hosted, and we had a Daniel Bryan CM Punk match from a pay per view that I can remember. Over the limit. Over the limit. Well done, Matthew. It was a good job you pay attention to that. <laughs> and uh, that was. Fan, oh, it's fantastic. It couldn't even lick this one's dick. <laughs> No, I, I watched that. I, I didn't, obviously yeah. I wasn't on the show, but I did watch it. I, I wasn't as impressed as you guys were when you were talking about it. Yeah. I did think it was a good match, a really good match, but I didn't mm. think it was quite as good as you guys made it out. This, if you were talking about this in that way, I would have been like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I almost uh, had to like revisit my top five in my head, but it changes so much. I was like, I'll waste half a day in his art. <laughs> so I decided against it. It's funny, right? Because I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it because. I can tell you right now, like off the top of my head, I, I still remember my favorite Brock Lesnar match. Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, SmackDown Iron Man match for the WWE Championship. Still my favorite ever Brock Lesnar match. I wonder if it holds up compared to that now. That'd be interesting to see, but that that still stands as my uh, as my personal Brock favorite. I don't think I've ever watched that. I don't think I have either. No, well that's some homework. And you oh, know what? Maybe. It's so fu- it's so fucking hot. I don't think I'll be going out anyway. So. <laughs> I I got enough homework with the editing, so I'm not going to do that. But uh, yeah. Well, well, and and also a small child. And a small child, which is yeah. know, secondary concern, obviously. <laughs> um, so after this, we get the weird video package of a fan taking up the challenge of being splashed by Mark Henry in return for tickets to a to VIP tickets to SummerSlam. Brandon Hendricks apparently is his name. Mm. He is the Doritos Jacked Bold Fan. That's that's the name. Not not bold as in bold, old man. Bold yeah. as in, you know, strong and, and what else you would call it. How, how would you describe bold? Brave. Brave. Fair enough. I'll be honest, right? I think this guy was a plant. Yeah, I think so. Because he's so charismatic. And I was like, come on, mate. And uh, they get better than... Was it better than front row or something like that? As yeah. They say. It was in front of the table. They sat in front of the Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked when uh, I think his Cole just goes, the seats are better than ours. <laughs> uh, sorry, J, sorry J, JBL says that. And then Cole just goes, oh, yeah. And he sounds really upset. <laughs> the reason I thought he was a plant was because he's got to take a splash from Mark Henry. And I figured yeah. Yeah. for insurance purposes, they probably couldn't do it with a fan. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. There was no way. 
<laughs> Although they do show him having some sort of medical, which I thought, I must say, I thought was, regardless of whether it's fake, I thought that was a lovely touch. I thought, you know what? That's a nice little detail, which I appreciate. Him having his blood pressure taken. Although I don't, I don't know why they were shoving that stuff up his ass. I've never had a medical properly, but I don't know whether I want one. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, look, his prize for getting Mark Henry to splash him was these VIP tickets and uh, these seats in front of the, the announce table for one match. And that one match is not Daniel Bryan versus John Cena for the WWE title. It's not Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk in no disqualification match. It's not even for the Inferno match, which would have been a lovely thing to sit, to sit <laughs> ringside for. It is for Dolph Ziggler and Caitlin against Biggie Langston and AJ Lee, a match that goes for just under seven minutes and ends when Ziggler counters a big ending by Big E with a zigzag in the ring to get the pin. Matt. It's almost not fair to comment on this, especially after the Brock and the Brock because I'm naturally just going to be more predisposed to be pissed off at it. But the second I hear, I'm here to show the world, I'm here to show the world, I just... Come on, let it For fuck's sake. I'm here to show the world that I'll be in the same place I was yesterday and the same place I am tomorrow. Exactly. I was like, oh, for fucks again. Come on. (laughs) I was like, how many times have I got to see this man have the same bloody match on every bloody show he's on? I just don't care. And it was just made worse by the fact that I'll make no secret about it. I'm not a big E fan either. And I'm also not a big fan of AJ Lee. So you're not. Three, three out of the four of this are all on my shit list. Hang on. So you're, so the one who's getting your fucking flowers in this match, with the greatest respect, is Caitlin. Caitlin's actually pretty good. And I, on, I've got more time for her than any of the other three in it. Caitlin's actually not too bad. The rest of them just so dull but yeah they, they, i mean the, the crowd were into it they they enjoyed seeing ziggler get thrown around you know doing his selling as he always does uh comes back gets a zigzag whoopee i i i, <laughs> I did like this one this was probably my least favorite match of the night i so, feel like you should talk about it for a little bit longer man because the anguish is is beautiful so we have seen two AJ Lee matches and two Caitlin matches for this podcast. We've seen six Big E matches. We have seen 14 Dolph Ziggler matches Jesus. since starting this podcast. Oh, man. Um, so, we get an abdominal stretch by Big E <laughs> early, early as he well. He loves a bit of abdominal stretch. Yeah, man. they fucking, they go, they come in strong. They come in hot. Wasn't rope assisted, though, which is disappointing. No, it wasn't. No, and also he's got a partner, so... Mm. So, AJ Lee is very good. I know you just said that you don't like her, Matt. I, she's really good. I was also, I don't remember the other Caitlin match we've seen, but I think that's the only other Caitlin match that I've seen. <laughs> and I got to be honest, I, I thought she was pretty bloody good in this, actually, considering I didn't really have any expectations. I think the actually is probably unfair, but she hits a cracking spear on the outside to mm, AJ. I like that. Yeah. And some stuff happens, to be honest. Like, I think that's about it, really. Like, AJ and Caitlin have a couple of lovely little exchanges in the ring. They're not in there very long. It's at least six minutes. They probably only get about 90 seconds, to be honest. A fucking zigzag is an awful move. <laughs> With a shit name. Fe- 
Yeah, but so a shit name by a shit character. <laughs> yeah, well, right. I'll, I'll be fair, mate. He's not a shit character because he hasn't got. So <laughs> it's like you can't shit your pants if you're not wearing your pants. <laughs> well, I don't want to say shit person because I'm sure he's not. No, I don't know to be honest. The zigzag is effectively falling down. That's what it is. Assisted falling. I know you can say that for a lot of stuff, but it's assisted falling. Can I just say, um, when we were at college, this will come back to something. Lucy used to call herself Sandwich Bread Girl because she we, she knew we were into wrestling, so she made her own wrestling character up. Lucy is someone we went to college with. And she used to do a move where basically she'd jump off a chair and jump on the on basically on your back as if it was like a piggyback. <laughs> That's effectively what the zigzag is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. The piggyback. Not, not a very good not a very good move. And I also did think I was like, Biggie's a big fucking unit. It <laughs> doesn't doesn't make him look very strong. It made him look as weak as my piss today, the amount of water I fucking had. But I gotta say, given what they followed, I think they do okay because they are here so people can go off and have a quick fucking tug after that last match and then get back in position for the main event. And they must know this. That's why they're there. And it's also it just brought it brought me down. It didn't take me too far down either. I I also I kind of appreciated the fact that this wasn't the Total Divas match. Because I genuinely think that this crowd would have, they had a little nibble on the women with their chanting. They would have eaten them alive, this crowd, after that Leicester Punk match, I think, if the Total Divas match had gone. But you know what? As a way to fill six minutes and 45 seconds, for Matt to get riled up, I'll take it. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I'm all up for Matt getting riled up. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say something that's going to wind him up even more. I think this is the most important match of the night. Oh, son off. <laughs> i tell you why. No, I'm not even joking. So a minute ago, like literally two, three minutes ago, I said that Daniel Bryan and John Cena only just managed to follow the Dan- the CM Punk mm, Brock Lesnar match. They wouldn't nice. have done it if this match wasn't there. They would not have done it. Yeah. That, they would, that crowd would have been exhausted and very, very, find it very difficult to get back up for that Daniel Bryan John Cena match to make it how good it was. So, this is very important. I, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek there, but I also don't think you can get annoyed at this match existing because it has to exist for that to happen. So, I think, Matt, you're being harsh on them. They were there, they were thrown out to the Wolves. They got through six minutes. It wasn't bad, it wasn't great, but it was just a match just to give everyone a break. And that's what it did. Mm. I thought you could have shuffled the card up and you could have put something else there and it, and it would have been the same. What would you have put there? Put the fire match there. Why not? Yeah, maybe. I don't mind that. But then that that maybe they were worried about the setup. I think that was the whole thing mm. there. There was a there was a kind of um, practical issue with that. If it took a lot of time, great. <laughs> More time for the people to calm down in between the matches. Maybe, but mm. I still don't... You don't like that either. So I don't understand why you're, why you're annoyed at it. It's because... He likes it more than he hates Dolph Ziggler, Biggie Langston, and women. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> where, where did this women narrative come into it? <laughs> Sometimes well, it just happens. You get you get a reputation instead. Yeah, yeah. Before we round wrap up the show, there are a few more bits and pieces. Well, one more bit really. Co-stars with the Miz of Christmas Bounty are at ringside. Christmas yes. Bounty are due to come out in November. I've had a quick look at it. It was uh, out in uh, yeah late 2013. It was the Miz's fourth film. Can you believe it? He'd already been in the campaign. The Marine 3, Queens of the Ring, 
and then Christmas Bounty was his fourth film. Christmas Bounty, I guess this was uh, probably Francesca or no, Francia Razor and Will Greenberg, who were sat at ringside watching him. We then get a bit more of the kickoff panel. They make their predictions for the WWE title matches. Interestingly, Michaels and Vicky Guerrero both pick Brian Booker T's non-committal on his choice. And uh, that's interesting because that's not an usual way they would go when they're making predictions. They wouldn't usually make the right one. Finally, we get the video package that hypes John Cena versus Daniel Bryan. So that is everything. That is your lot. SummerSlam 2013 in the books. Matt, give us your score out of 10 and your overall thoughts. Overall thoughts, the this is a pretty good show with one match in particular, which was absolutely phenomenal in Lesnar and Punk. One match which was pretty damn good. John Cena, Daniel Bryan, the Christian Del Rio match was good. I'm kind of between I'm kind of leaning towards an eight. I was I was I was hovering between the eight and the nine, but I'm gonna go with eight. Already given my match of the night, like I said, it was is Brad Brock and Punk. MVP of the night is Punk, and I was really struggling with that one, i got to be honest. It, it pretty much was a coin flip between Punk and Brock, but in terms of what I expected going in compared to how I felt coming out of it, like I said earlier, the, the Brock-Punk match, I completely forgot how unbelievably fantastic it is. So that's going to be what I've come away with thinking of this show, and which is quite strange because looking back at it, I mean, obviously the whole point was the, co- well, not the coronation of Daniel Bryan because it got stolen from everybody. But yeah, that, I suppose that's the, the part we were supposed to remember, but I'm going to remember this for Brock and Punk. So I've got one thing to add to the show before we go into the snow. Michael Cole, his commentary at the end. So after Triple H, it's the pedigree. And Randy Orton then covers him. His commentary is phenomenal because he is confused, just speechless. And he just lets it sit because he's like, what? But but, Randy Orton and Triple H, and he just lets it sit. And I think Cole is fucking great through this show anyway. If it wasn't for the fact that Lesnar Punk is so good, he'd have been my MVP. So I think his work here is really, really tremendous. And I think they work together really well, actually, the commentators. I wanted to say that because we've given JBL a heck of a lot of shit. Especially, especially last in the, week. Yeah, la, la, I mean, for the people who've listened to it when this comes out last week, he is an abhorrent human being after, this, after last week. Like, genuinely, Matt, when you listen to it, you'll understand what we're talking about. But I think they're very good. And I think Cole manoeuvres them masterfully. Like a good chess player. But anyway, I don't give a fuck about that. So, this show, what you've got is you've got a bang average ring of fire match. And for what they get, a decent enough Rhodes and Sandow match. A good World Heavyweight Championship match. A women's match that is absolutely fine. There's not really a whole lot wrong with it. My problem is with the presentation, not with the match itself. You've got Lesnar Punk that is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ziggler, Caitlin, Biggie, and AJ Lee, which again, 645, I'll take it. Well, I won't just take it at 645. I'll take it half seven, whatever you want. And then the main event, I really enjoyed and I loved the afterwards. This is getting an eight for me, I think. To be honest, I think it's probably a seven, but that Lesnar Punk match is so good. It almost pushes it. No, fuck it. Nine. Yeah, I'm going nine because that match is so good. I might have to watch that match again this week. It was so fucking good. Anyone listening to this, when you watch the match, fuck this off. Well, there was, well, they were only about probably two minutes from the end of this point. Fuck off the last two minutes. Just wait, remember, 
Uh, very review and remember Kempatera. <laughs> you you know the deal. You know the deal. And just watch, just watch this match. And maybe have us talking about it over the top. <laughs> I just love the fact that this match is so awesome that Roman totally forgot his own lines. <laughs> i got to be honest. If the end hadn't happened, mm. I'd be giving this a 10. Mm. I, thought, I, thought, I, I had a feeling you might say that. Uh, or I'd be close to anyway. I'm not mm. certain I'd be giving it a 10. But I'd be as close as we've ever come to giving a show a 10. Because mm. the Brock Lesnar-CM Punk match is incredible. The, the thing is, is if that match wasn't on the show, John Cena versus Daniel Bryan, I'd be saying was amazing. It's just in order to, for me to, to show that there's a difference in quality, I have to temper what I say about John Cena versus Daniel Bryan. But it's an amazing match. It's, a, it's an amazing WWE title match. The Del Rio Christian match is really damn decent. And for me, the rest of it doesn't even matter. You've got three matches there, probably the three most important matches of the night that all delivered and a couple of them have delivered beyond any measurable way that you could usually measure these things. They're just brilliant. But that end brings it down a whole score for me. It's down to eight because I think it's not the right thing to do. It's bad for business. It's long term bad as well. Like it, it legitimately did make me dislike watching wrestling more after that point because i felt like can i trust them to deliver again and then it kept happening so i've mentioned this one before if we ever cover uh hell in a cell 2014 you'll get almost exact same rant from me about the end of the dean ambrose seth rollins feud Mm. same thing they just don't they're not delivering any joy and that's that's the ultimate point. There's just they keep letting you down. They just keep like giving you bad news. And you're like, why do I want to watch this? What what's what's in it for me? When are they going to reward me as someone who is trying to watch it in the way it's supposed to be watched? And if I'm feeling like that, someone who can can watch it in a from an artistic perspective, what is the average person doing when they're watching it and going, I don't like this. None of my none of my heroes ever win. And that's what effectively the authority was all about, stopping any but anything good from happening to anybody. So for me that's where it that's where it kind of goes all wrong for me. But the rest but the show is genuinely very, very good from start to finish and, and could have been the best we'd seen if not for that end for me. So eight out of ten, an overall score of eight point three three, which is gonna make it one of the very highest ranked score, uh, scores we've ever done. In fact close to the top i don't know yet if it's number one but it's right close to the top so yeah very very impressive very very impressive indeed mm, well done everyone i think especially us oh yeah definitely we put in all the effort yeah yeah so that brings us all the way to the end old man you've already done your pit but i guess you want to do it again so thank you for joining us today cheers pal don't forget great <laughs> review and remember Kempatera. but you know what just for this week just rate your review it take you five minutes, wouldn't it? It's all right, outside. So you don't want to go outside. Give us a fucking rate, you cheap cunts. <laughs> and uh, Matt, thank you for joining us as well today. Gentlemen, pleasure as always. And listeners, keep interacting via Twitter. Always uh, entertaining to see some of the stuff that uh, some of the comments you come up with as well. Keep at it. Well, definitely when they uh, disagree with you, Matt. That's why I like them the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we you will be because you're a dick. <laughs> we will be back again next week. But until then, take care. <laughs>